welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast about our gaming group. I'm your host, Tom Donnelly. Well, this is round eight, turn two, and I have got the opinionated gamer with me. Ben, how you doing? Oh my God, I am so excited to talk <laughs> board games today. I really am. It's like I have to, I wait, you know, because we have the, the structure, I am like Roger Rabbit in the back room and someone is doing like da, 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 and I just want to do the last part for like weeks. And so now I get to finally talk about board games again. I'm really excited. Thanks for having me. Shave and a haircut. <laughs> I know. For free. Ah, felt good. Uh, two bits. <laughs> oh, well, I never said I was a lyricist. For free, uh, for free is pretty good, too. Like, I, I, I don't pay too much haircut. <laughs> I, I am really always out for a disc. I actually have a special power. Uh, yeah, that was my asynchronous power is that I actually get my shave and haircut for free. Oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. We are also, as you can probably tell, joined by the Game Breaker. How you doing, Paul? I am doing great, great. Uh, it is August 1st. And I, my moratorium on desserts is over. <laughs> oh, oh no, oh no! Ha, ha, have you have you begun yet? I know it's early on a Saturday. Have, have you? Uh... I, I, I have not. Tomorrow, uh, my mom is having her birthday uh, party, which I will partake uh, mm. greatly. Uh, but more than that, like I've actually discovered something that isn't a dessert that I that's now on the menu, which is uh, at the Cheesecake Factory. They do this oh, no. chicken parm pizza, which is basically instead of a crust, it's all chicken parm and it's topped with angel hair uh, pasta. And I go, oh man, my life expectancy has just dropped two percent. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't I, believe I, that I, there has ever been anything good that has followed the phrase at the Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> I was oh, thinking the but, same thing, <laughs> and yet every time, every time. Every time I guess Cheesecake Factory, I'm like, this is delicious. Oh, I'm sorry. That was my phone, everyone. I'm turning yeah. it off. So you don't, that was not your text. It was me, everyone. <laughs> I, I, I would bet the game brainers would disagree. Uh, like, you know, if you uh, like the Cheesecake Factory, uh, say something uh, this week. Because uh, <laughs> Cheesecake Factory, is, it, it's, it's delightful. I, I was thinking about ordering from it this week. I'm not going to lie. I feel like every few months, I'm like, you know what? Why am I snobby about the Cheesecake Factory? I've That's never right. not loved everything I've had there. Yeah. <laughs> it's always good. And that, that, that brown bread, I mean. Yeah, that brown bread, yeah. Uh, I, uh, I feel Cheesecake Factory falls in the same category as Popeye's chicken. It's really yeah, well, I have easy. no shame about Popeye's no. chicken. Yeah. No. It's really easy to look down on Popeye's nope. because, oh, it's fast food. But it's no. delicious. It's totally, great. Completely it's like, and totally not true. There are, uh, there are articles about some of the top chefs in the world and what is their guilty pleasure, and, and it's Popeyes. They go to Always. Popeyes. None of them would ever, ever set foot in a cheesecake factory. It's a mm -hmm. totally different uh, situation. Uh, you, 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 you overreach, Tom. You are, you are abjectly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want you to know, Paul, that in solidarity with you welcoming various carbs back into your life, I just had a whole bunch of French toasts and um, I'm feeling I'm like on a sugar high at the moment, but also a sugar shame spiral. And I'm going to take this energy and devote it right into the podcast. You could be on an upward spiral. That's a sugar shame upward spiral. <laughs> That's a great. It's like a funnel cloud. It reminds me of what I said the last time I was in Cheesecake Factory. Hey, isn't that Tom Keller on the next table over? Weird. Yes. Oh, yeah. Tom yeah. Keller. Famously has a uh, secret menu there. He has a, a special experience at the Cheesecake yeah, the, the, Factory. And his, own, menu, and his yeah. own booth. 
It's true. Yeah. It's a fact. It's <laughs> yes. Okay. Before, yeah. we, before this, <laughs> before this <laughs> completely dissolves, let's talk about the game we're going to talk about, which itself may be contentious. We are going to talk about the 2020 release, The Cost, by Armando, or Mo, as he goes by, Canales. And we're also going to be talking about the things that keep us coming back to games and the things that keep us away. So... Mm. Mm. Shall we? Uh, shall we get right into uh, what we did this week's game night? Let's sure. do it. Let's, Let's do, do it. it. I'm going to go first because uh, I'm in this weird place right now where the kids are finishing up their summer things and about to start back in school virtually. And my wife is going to be teaching this year. So she is getting her class, her virtual classroom ready for kindergartners, which is insane. She's printing and and laminating all these things that she's going to be having to send home in packets because the kindergarten kids can't really do virtual learning the way the rest of us do. They need to have physical manipulatives and stuff like that. So she's doing. So my week has been so jam full of of getting kids here and there and helping out my wife and all that sort of stuff that I played one game and one game only. I played the cost. That was it. I didn't even I didn't even get a game to teach you in. It was it was a wow. It was a hard, hard, hard week. What about uh, what about you, you Ben? Your life sounds like a Vidal Lacerda game, just like a, about like some sort of <laughs> logistics puzzle. Are you getting little bonuses and like with everything you do? Did you get two points just by mentioning it? No, I get no Scooby snacks. The d- dad, Aww. the dad in the in the family never gets any Scooby snacks. Okay, it is it is more like a Martin Wallace game where it's just you're trying to minimize minimize the amount of the amount of nut punching you're getting. That's it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad that you were able to get a release from that stress by playing a game about asbestos. I'm glad that worked out for you. <laughs> it was. It was. It was a delight. <laughs> So uh, for me, I, of course, I played the cost a bunch. Um, I, I also played, I think, two, I think two games of Yokohama on Board Game Arena, mm. which uh, is a delight. And it's like really funny to play our game night music with like a scary werewolf. And then like this game night. Oh, I played Yokohama. It's like <laughs> it's, a, it's a fun contrast of, of vibes. But you know what? Yokohama is such a wonderful game. And I have really um straight away from it not intentionally it's the game i i i, I backed i got the deluxe version mm-hmm. and when it first came i was so excited about it i played it a few times and then it kind of went on the shelf it's even like on my most prominent game shelf and i haven't played it in like two years maybe three years however long it is it just sort of gets it got forgotten about i don't know why i mean this is probably something we'll cir- circle back to in the discussion but now that it's available on Board Game Arena and it's like very accessible, mm-hmm. um, I I have just come back to Yokohama and am remembering everything that I loved about it. It is such a fun, lovely game. It is in one of those categories for me where I would never not play. If somebody said, oh, we're going to play Yokohama, I'd be like, hey, I'm absolutely in. And yet at but the exact same yeah. time, I would never recommend it. I would never if – I, if it's my choice – my my eyes would pass right over it and go to something else. I don't know what it is about it. 
it's Catherine Heigl in 27 dresses, you know, always the bridesmaid. <laughs> and I feel like now that she has, now that Catherine Heigl has found board game arena, maybe she's now a bride. Um, so I played that. And then the other game I played just last night, uh, we were going to have a playthrough of the cost. It kind of fell apart. And then what happened was you'll be surprised by this, Tom elder. And I played a two player version, two player game of Tekenyu. And guess what? What? I really, really enjoyed it. I, re- I had a great time playing it. We, um, we actually wound up tied at the end. It wound up being a very balanced game. I wow. still have some issues with it. But um, the backstory is the first game I played last week, there was technical issues. And yeah. I just, because of like, there was like audio issues and, and stuff like that, I, I didn't really get the rules. And I just kind of like fumbled through a very unforgiving experience. And I was like, I'm not really sure about this game, but I'm not going to judge it just yet. This is sort of like a Ben issue, not a game issue. Sure. And so we played again last night. And uh, it was much, 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 much better. And I was like really happy to know that I could have such a terrible experience the first time, mm-hmm. and it could really be excellent the second time. So I was really happy about that. I really enjoyed it. Oh, I'm glad to hear that, man. Yeah, yeah I, I quite. I think I liked the game the most out of the three of us last uh, last week reviewing Tekkenu. But I, I think it's pretty pretty darn great. I really enjoyed it. Paul, yeah. what about you? What have you been playing? Well, I played the cost, uh, which was uh, again, which was really interesting at three players, and I'm sure it will come up. <laughs> Uh, I yep. played Yokohama with Ben, and I was, uh, Ben taught that, and that was great. Uh, I I don't know if I feel I feel it's a lot more uh, what you call it wrestly, like you know, like uh, than a lovely game that Ben is describing. <laughs> uh, I, well, I, I think enjoyed, that is lovely. <laughs> yeah, I, I did. I did very much enjoy it, uh, and uh, and then we played uh, Fort uh, Trey, myself, and. Actually, uh, uh, and Matt and Elder, like we play a couple games at Fort, which is very interesting. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so look, there you go. Look forward to hearing more about that soon. Uh, let's jump. Yep. We're, we're going to have a lot to talk about with the cost, so let's jump right into the news. Good evening, Mr. Mr. Alpha South America, and all the ships and clippers at sea. Let's go to press. First up in game news, uh, there is a new game that is going to be coming, uh, that's going to be launching on Kickstarter very, very soon in the next few weeks. Uh, it is by Tim Armstrong, and it's called Arcana Rising. Card drafting, engine builder, two to six sorcerers, and plays in an hour or less. So uh, when people are talking about it, or at least Candace Harris, when uh, Candace Harris, friend of the Game Brain crew, she compared it to Race Arcana and It's a Wonderful World, two games I was super excited to play and neither of which I liked. So maybe this, oh, oh great, maybe this once again, maybe this once again won't be for me. It also, you know, <laughs> my whole Race Arcana thing is is the, the fantasy theme just just does nothing for me, nothing for me. Same. Uh, and in this one, really? in, in this one, you're gonna yeah, you're gonna have cards that are that are charms. Herbology, blood arts, potions, alchemy, artifacts. Um, you know, you're going to have a hand of cards. They're going to be passed to the next player. You're going to pick one and then, and then pass them on. And you're going to cho- choose whether or not to place the card into your tableau or to discard it and use its value to run your engine, cast your spells, and so on and so forth. Uh, you know, I will, I'm going to play this. 
there's no question about it. I'm going to play this, and I will keep playing these games until there's one that I like. Uh, because you mean in terms of fantasy games or like card magic? Games? In, in this case, it's both, right? In in this case, it's actually it is a little bit of both. I mean, it also brings up. I mean, even though it's not a card game, uh, it, it it brings up that uh, that alchemy game that we played, Trismegistus. Which, which also was just like, oh, this theme is just killing me. It's really not helping me at all yeah. get into this. What do this. you think that is, Tom? What, what, what is it about fantasy that you, you have none in your life? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, We're more of like an Abestus kind of crew over here. I do. Yeah, I, right. I, I, I am much more intrigued with, with something like that. It is, it is true. Real I, world I, stuff. I, I recognize that I'm weird on theme. I recognize that I am not uh, not not the usual. That my my favorite game of all time is uh, is a simulation of the German parliamentary election system. I realize that that's not. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that I'm a a little bit of an outsider. That one of my favorite themes is container, where we're just managing container yes. ships. I, I I guess I guess what it is is there's so much fantasy out there that I'm like, what are you doing differently, or is this just are you just mailing it in? And you know, I, I actually am totally with you there, Tom, in terms of uh, loving real world themes that sort of you, you can sort of see it in the, in the world around you. Although, I mean, I, I do enjoy fantasy uh, to a certain degree, mm-hmm. but I think for me, one of the reasons why I, I've sort of pulled away fantasy themed games. I mean, of, of course, I'll play a fantasy themed game, I'm sure. And I, I would love a th- fantasy themed game if it was a good game. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, in one of my from one of my groups, they they love fantasy themed games, and so I played a lot a lot of stuff with magicians and mages, or not mages, but like you know stuff like that. And it was fine. I was oh, you know, it's always fun. It's, and you know, really, if you're with your friends, it's all great. But every time I bring a game, I try to suggest a game that's like, hey, this one has to do with like car man- manufacturing or building rails, <laughs> or um, this one is like you're like running a factory or something they're always like oh god that looks awful and i'm like you know what i always play these fancy <laughs> games which i have very little interest in this theme but i always do it because you know it's like i feel like that's part of like you know being in the game group and so i started to resent the fancy theme <laughs> because i felt like it was getting like oh people would play fancy theme but then there was like snobbery against you know something about manufacturing and then that has now created a weird complex in my head where i'm like uh fantasy so <laughs> you know what you need to do because you're the one teaching these games i know you are you just have to teach it as though it's a fantasy theme this game is called kanban kanban was an ancient <laughs> wizard he was the greatest of the wizards. Now you're yes. you're, you're going to ga- gain a, a blueprint. I mean, I'm sorry. Did I say blueprint? A scroll and the scroll. <laughs> look, yeah, the scroll. No. The scroll is for the black games. magic. I don't know why it looks a little bit like a car, but it's not. It's the a cars go- are dragons. It's They're a very specific looking dragons. <laughs> no, I, I guess like, what's your favorite fantasy game? Would like say uh, Terra Mystica be considered a fantasy game to you? Sure, of course it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, and if it, there wasn't. Uh, What's the other one? What's the space one? Guy Project. Would would Terra Mystica go like, ah, I don't really like Terra Mystica because of dragons or no, fire I, giants. It, before, until Gaia Project came out, I, lo- I loved Terra Mystica. If, if the game is good enough, the theme doesn't doesn't really matter. So, but I'll also so say to, that, yes. that, it, that was not, that theme was not mailed in it was not pasted on mm-hmm. it was not chosen willy-nilly there were the, there gotcha, were gotcha. the 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 witches and the mermaids and the mm-hmm. halflings and the dwarves 
their powers that made them unique fit their role. They were they were all mm. you know well maybe not all but most of them very well thought out, very well considered, and mm-hmm. and put together into uh, to make uh, to make a lot of sense. Frankly, so it sounds like it, it sounds like you you don't like uh, the lazy implementation of fantasy in 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 games as far as theme. That's that's for sure, but I think that may have also. I think I may call things lazy that maybe aren't quite as lazy as I make them out to be. Like, but I, 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 right. I don't. I don't find. I mean, some people find Race Arcana and the, the theme to be great. I don't. I, yeah. To me, to me, it's like it, it could be. It could be anything. It's, it feels very generic and very pasted on. I don't even like the art. And other people, you know, Maddie loves the art. It's like his favorite art from sure. from mm-hmm. from last year. So we're just. We just don't see eye to eye on that. No, no, I'm, 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 yeah. I'm willing to, uh, you know, and I, I try whenever we talk about a game like that, I try to say, hey, listen, here is my, here. I come in with baggage. Here's my baggage. So <laughs> so take everything I say about this particular part of the review with a huge grain of salt because, boy, oh, boy, I got a, I got a Subaru okay, filled so with bags. I, I'm working through some stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just looking through my games right now, and I, I out of my collection, I think I only have one game that is sort of high fantasy-ish. Um, it's the King's Guild, which actually my friend Matt designed. It's a really super fun game. And by the way, if you like... Um, uh, Splendor. It's like Splendor. It's like it takes Splendor and then just like goes to the next level with it. And that's fancy. And that's fun. I don't have a problem. Like it doesn't, I would never like, I would never say, oh, this is a good game, but it's fancy. So therefore it's not worthy. It's just more like I have, I generally, I now have like a, a reaction to the fancy theme, which is that it like takes me back to this place where I feel like the games that I like were on the receiving end of snobbery. And then I, for some reason, I'm now taking it out on a theme that probably doesn't deserve this psychological baggage. So everyone, like, you know, uh, as you can tell, the the uh, game brain group has some baggage that need to work through. Everyone, uh, you know, <laughs> a good game therapist. <laughs> yeah, I literally have a game. I have Healthy Heart Hospital. I have Symphony Number no. 9. This is where my mind's at. I mean, that's ridiculous. You guys, I don't know what's going on in this episode, but we have we have brought up Cheesecake Factory, Catherine, he- <laughs> Catherine Heigl, <laughs> And fantasy games. I'm just like uh, I'm being seriously triggered here. Triggered. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we haven't even gone to the main event, so this is going to be this is craziness. It is. It is. Anyway, Arcana and Arcana Rising. If if you like uh, Race Arcana, it, you know I don't know why, but it is a game that very much might be to to your interests. We'll be on Kickstarter coming this month. Look for it. Arcana Rising by Tim. Armstrong. Uh, next up, Undaunted. We went from Undaunted Normandy, and now we have Undaunted North Africa. Okay, we're going to be, it's going to be releasing, or it will have just released uh, right around now, and it is, if you like Undaunted, it's the same game, it's just with different cards, different setting, and I gotta say, I love the art. There's something I, I mm-hmm. I'm really into Normandy as a theme. I really like it. I mean, uh, Breakout Normandy is is a really old school war game that I own and have played dozens of times and absolutely love. But there is something about North Africa that really that, that really gets me going. I don't know, maybe maybe I'm more uh, more. Lawrence of Arabia than, mm-hmm. than saving, saving Private Ryan. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. But it, it's gorgeous. Have, have you guys played Undaunted Normandy? I have. And I, have I love not. the game. I, I love the game. It's, uh, 
it's a two-player game, and uh, and it can and you you have various scenarios that you can play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I find is that I don't enjoy playing two-player games very much now, unless it's short. And you know, and Undaunted is fairly any what you call it scenario is pretty short, and it really gets how should I say uh, it gets the blood pumping without having to feel like someone is going to get pummeled for the next hour. Yeah, gotcha. you know, it's, so it's exciting and it's fun. Yeah, it's high fun. That's why I describe it. So you've been, you've been playing a bunch of Imperial Struggle though. So how do you feel about that? Given what you just said, like ultimately, like you know, like I've not finished the game. Like no one has gotten to thirty or uh, zero. <laughs> what, what, like I take it back. One time I won by getting all seven markets right. You know, like all four territories and uh, yeah. three markets. Yeah. But like, uh, but ultimately, what happens is like if someone is like looking like they're gonna die, mm-hmm. like you know, but it's gonna take an hour or like in this case, like four eras. Uh, uh, we just we just you know tap out. <laughs> <laughs> now, is, is, since you love Undaunted Normandy, is Undaunted North Africa like like way in your wheelhouse, and you're you're ready oh, to jump absolutely. on board? Uh, I'm I'm very excited for Matt to get this. Invite me over, and then uh, two hours go by. We played the scenarios. Yeah, it, it, it looks great. The The system is very well regarded. You definitely, if you were into two-player short war games that you can play in about an hour or so, definitely, definitely check out Undaunted North Africa and its predecessor, Undaunted Normandy. Uh, okay, next- I'll say one more thing about it. Like, please, you know, please. What it does very well is theme. Like if we were talking about theme, like it feels like you're like in this skirmish uh, environment in World War Two. Like you know, here are these. Mm. You have the machine gunners. You have the whatever. You have, and it just feels so like you're in that moment. And I love great. that there's a. I love that there's a card for Kristen Scott Thomas in a cave. I think that really just fills it out for me. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the whole experience. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have a game called Cairn. Cairn, C-A-I-R-N. I, Cairn. Believe, I, I don't believe it. I think it's pronounced closer to Karn, but I don't oh. know. I don't know why. But I, I, I was I, hoping it was a game about like ladies who who, who asked for the manager. Karen. Karen. <laughs> <laughs> it's a game called Karen. See if you Cairn. can be the biggest Karen. Uh, right. Which I'm I'm starting to have a problem with that word, by the way. But we'll, we'll that's a that's a topic for another day. I think I think it's uh, I think the number. Of uh, of Karen incidents are unfairly slandering a gender. Uh, that said, let's get into Karen. Karen is a 2019 release um, that is getting wider distribution every day. Christian Martinez is the designer. It is a two player only game, and it is it gets a lot of comparisons to chess, and it gets some comparisons to Tigris and Euphrates, the amazing, amazing Reiner Knizia game. Um, Shut Up and Sit Down did a review of it in which they gushed over how much fun it is. Here's the thing. It is a two-player, face-to-face, head-to-head, abstract strategy game. But unlike a lot of these sorts of things, it is designed to be offensive, not defensive. What I mean by that is when you're playing chess... Chess is a hugely defensive game. Yes, they, yes, there are offensive strategies and all that sort of stuff. But a lot of what the game is is about locking things up, bogging things down, and and limiting options. Right in Cairn, there is no such there is no such beast. The 
the object of the game is to get your sorcerers across the board using checker-like tactics to some degree uh, to get them into the uh, the village of the enemy of the other uh, of the other guy. And that's that's how you uh, eventually win the game. Um, but the abilities to defend your own are relatively limited, right? There's no moving backwards. There's, an, there's none of that sort of stuff. It's all uh, pressing forward. The other thing is, is that there are three action tokens on the board, and those action tokens are double-sided. When you choose an action token, you do that action, and then you flip it over to the other side, and then your opponent can use any of the three that they see now in front of them. Uh, it's getting some really good reviews. People, people I respect a lot are saying, you know what? If you want a game that plays in about 20 minutes and feels kind of brain burnery, uh, you should try this out. So, you know, given that we love things like Ricochet Robots, I thought, you know, maybe maybe care to be something that we, that we should talk about on the podcast because it might be worth a, a look, it might be worth a try. Yeah. Sure. Sounds when you. Sounds great. Uh, when you said like there's all offense and no defense, it sounds like slap boxing. Yeah, I don't believe it is. What I mean by that is that there's no turtling. There's okay, no gotcha, mm, gotcha. Right? There's it's not it's not one of these things where you guys set up the set up this great impenetrable wall and then just wait for the other person to make a mistake. That that's those are the kinds of, gotcha, of games gotcha, like that that gotcha. I don't care for really. Uh, yeah. uh, other news, Sagrada is on Switch now. Ben, you were the one who told me about this. I think this is fantastic news. Yeah, um, apparently it was just released on Switch a few days ago from when we're recording, so I get late July, I think it was. I think this is great. I think anytime um, we can get games to maybe, you know, modern board games to people who may not have access to them or may not know about them via a super popular platform like the Nintendo Switch, I think that's Excellent. I think I think actually Sagrada is really made for for Nintendo Switch. I don't know if there's like an iOS implementation of it. There might be. Um, it'd be good for that too. And Sagrada is like a really, really super fun game. I mean, again, another just another twenty minute, twenty to thirty minute uh, easy casual game. My friends are obsessed with it. One of the reasons why I actually don't play it much anymore is because my friends burned me out on it. It was like every single time. Can we play Sagrada? Can we play Sagrada? So, uh, you know, it, it is a super, super fun game. And I uh, love that it's on the Switch. I think it's about $15. Mm -hmm. a, little, a little high for my taste. I think I would have liked it at about $10. Sure. But um, I think, especially if you're looking for content in between your Animal Crossing sessions, hey, Sagrada, you can't go wrong. Yeah, Sagrada, Azul, games like that that are these abstract pattern recognition, uh, limited limited choice, maximum benefit sort of, uh, what would you call those? Uh, efficiency puzzles to some degree. Yeah. I, I think are amazing. I, I really like, so I have Sagrada and two expansions for it. Play with mm. my son. Oh, how are those expansions, by the way? Um, They're really, some of them are really good. It, it, but it becomes one of those things where you have to decide... The base game already is so thinky. Do we really want to add in more elements? Now, certainly adding in new cards that are, you know, new tools, cards, or adding in new um, uh, windows 
that are more challenging in terms of the limitations. The, the way it works in Sagrada is you get a window that you have to put colored dice into to make a pleasing pattern. And the each window has certain restrictions. They say, okay, this has to be this particular number or this has to be this particular color or, or all of that. And there are general rules where colors cannot be next to each other in certain ways and all that sort of stuff. Um, the idea being that there, you can go for a tougher window, but it's going to score more points. In other words, the, the, mm-hmm. you, you can set your own difficulty level. With the expansions, some of them have some very difficult windows that are very, very interesting to play. I would love that. Yeah, yeah right? I- yeah, I um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it really is a great game that I just got burned out on. Um, but uh, yeah, all those games, I think they should all. I think Azul should be on the Switch. I'm I actually have a copy of Mandala, which I haven't even gotten to play yet. Just sort of sitting here, I'm like debating whether or not I'm going to force my boyfriend to to, to play with me because he's not much of a gamer. Uh, so <laughs> I may force him to just because everyone says that's also another great you know two player twenty twenty five minute you know abstract. Uh, fun fest. Oh, you've got to let me know. I haven't played that one yet, so I would love to hear okay. what it is. All right. Well, now I now I have a a, a great excuse to force him to play with me <laughs> and for, the, uh, for the podcast. We got to do podcast for the podcast. Right. Exactly. right. It's it's for a good cause. Uh, and last but not least, this is uh, this is a week of the sads. This is supposed to be Gen Con. Trey and I should be you know stinking up a, a hotel room, and you know we should have like four different duffel bags filled with costumes as we go from LARP to LARP. I mean, this is that's what this is supposed to be. That's what this week is supposed to be. But unfortunately, they have Gen Con online. I guess it's not unfortunate that they have Gen Con online. I'm glad they have Gen Con online. I'm glad they have an event that people can go and participate in. Did I participate in that? No. I just told you what my week was like. It was absolute nightmare. So, but... I can say that the Ennies, which are the Oscars for the role-playing game uh, business, uh, just occurred last night. Last night was the uh, the, the sort of online any award uh, nominations were announced about a month ago, and the awards were announced yesterday. And I will tell you that the best game of the year, 2020 game of the year, if you are into role-playing games, is Alien, the RPG. Um Alien is kind of amazing. It's let's put it this way: RPGs, just like just like board games and and everything else, have a had a problem historically with branded content, right? If if it was you know so and so the board game, you knew that board game was likely to be bad, right? Yeah. Um, and then things started to take a turn. I, th- I think Battlestar Galactica really was was the first one to make the, to start to make that turn, where somebody said, "Oh no, we're going to take this branded content and we're going to use the what makes that brand what makes that brand great in the first place into something that's amazing as a game, right?" Uh, and then if you look at what Prospero Hall is doing right now, I mean, they are just knocking it out of the park by taking branded content after branded content and making some pretty amazing, pretty hilarious, pretty fun games that capture the spirit of what they were doing in the first place. Alien, the RPG, does that in spades. It is a game that I have had 10 different people tell me, you would be amazed how scary a role-playing game can feel. It is scary. Wow. It is really, really interesting. It sets the mood perfectly. 
it builds out the world properly, um, and it 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 evokes the feelings of that first movie so well uh, that it's it's kind of astonishing. Which is interesting because wow. we mentioned last year we mentioned a game called Mothership, which is an indie darling, which I which very much yeah is I remember in, that it, it's very much in the uh, in the Alien world. So you got two different choices uh, for that. But Alien RPG, uh, listen the the Annie's sometimes give awards to the mass market games uh, but also they they like to um, to respect the indie games as well so alien winning it means that this is a cut above this is truly is and then the product of the year the other any award the big the big any award went to a game that was also nominated for I think it was the runner-up for game of the year a game called Morkborg that's m-o-r-k-b-o-r-g it is an art punk RPG set in a destroyed world. Uh, how do I describe this? If you were, if you were living in a world that was that that the entire world had decided at the same time, you know what? I think everything should be Icelandic death metal. That's what Morkborg is. It's this. It is crazy looking. You can go to Morkborg.com and take a look at this. The art is. St- Stunning. I have no idea how the gameplay is. I, I can't quite wrap my head around uh, around what it is. They say it's OSR. OSR means old school renaissance. Um, old school renaissance for me is a loaded term. It's some, it, basically what it means is we don't want any of that newfangled storytelling stuff. We want to play Dungeons and Dragons, right? It's that. It's it's, mm. it's that kind of thing, and it can have a regressive sort of feel to it sometimes. A little, a little yep. re- reactionary sometimes. Not necessarily though, and and certainly I don't see anything in here that 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 uh, that gets me gets me worried about it but boy it certainly looks it certainly looks really interesting they have a, an adventure called the death ziggurat <laughs> they have a an, an expansion called eat pray kill p-r-e-y <laughs> mm, okay so you know it's just one of these funky things that you know you just want to put on some icelandic death metal and uh, and have a game with your with your dear dear friends and uh anyway if this is your sort of thing, Morkborg.com, check it out. <laughs> wow. When you, I mean, when you said Morkborg, I was thinking, like, is it Mork and Mindy meets Star Trek? <laughs> would be cool. <laughs> oh, man. I would, I would back that in a heartbeat. Yeah, me too. That's right. I would too. Like, you know, Mork and Mindy uh, meets Star Trek. That's kind Trek. of amazing. The, 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 the Borg <laughs> found planet Orc. And it was yeah. all it, it was all over. Holy yeah, cow! Uh, I mean, hey, I, I think that's a great pitch to one of these companies. I, I say it's time to invest in that. I mean, Tom, this is this is right up your alley. I mean, you 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 design LARPs. You're right. You're a Hollywood. You're you're a, you're a big time Hollywood writer. This is like the perfect union of everything. Yeah, that's good. And, and it's branded content, and so there's a renaissance in like you know getting good branded content. This is good. All right, we can you incorporate I, Catherine Heigl into it somehow? Oh, you're killing me! You guys at are absolutely factory. at the Cheesecake Factory. This is where it all happens. <laughs> a portal opens up in a Cheesecake Factory where Catherine Heigl is enjoying a cheat meal. The the water is warm in my personal nightmare. Dive in. All right, enough of this nonsense. Let's get to games on the brain. Games, games on the brain. These are games we like to play. These are games stuck on 
uh, let's go backwards this time. Let's start with Paul. Paul, what's on your brain? Uh, I think the the cost uh, is really dominating my brain, but mm-hmm. uh, really interesting. Like it, it's kind of bringing up my feelings or making me revisit my thoughts on CO two. Uh, mm. And so, like, I, I've been kind of thinking like uh, about how those two games kind of require a different style of gameplay that I'm that I'm accustomed to, mm. uh, and maybe. I've grown or changed enough where I can appreciate CO2 now. I don't know. I'm not saying I want to play CO2. I'm just thinking about it. They're on my brain. They're, mm. they're the games on my brain. In that, wow. moment, in that moment, Paul's heart grew three sizes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about you, Ben? Um, well, I have some, you know... I, I've had 18 Chesapeake on my brain quite a bit. Uh, Jennifer taught me taught me an elder uh, the game a few weeks ago, and I just immediately loved it. I went on. I, I mentioned this in our our little sort of thing that we did at the top of the last episode, but I went on because uh, it's on 18 XX Games. I then have I've taught several of my friends because I'm like, well, I want to play this, and I want if, if more people know how to play it, then I have a better chance of getting it to the table. Um, uh, I've taught a bunch of friends of different levels of, of board game, um, experience, uh, and they've all loved it. And they, and we had, we actually had a game, 18 Chesapeake is supposed to be, you know, like a three hour game or so. Uh, I played, uh, I, I started up a five player game with, uh, some of my friends who are, uh, uh, they are contemplative and they are they are good players and one of the reasons why they are good players is that they consider every single situation and our game wound up being um about 10 hours total or spread over the course of two nights <laughs> and it was crazy that it went that long and we had a blast it was just so fun i, I mean i think if a game goes 10 hours and you're just all having a great time who cares right that's, that right that's um, huge it was it was wonderful so i i'm now like fully I, I want to play it more. I want to play more of these 18xx games. Uh, I think it's really important that I think some of these games should be demystified because they're not scary and they're 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 not they're they're full of life. They're not dry. So um, I'm super like I, I just want I can't wait to play it again. And um, I mean I have a whole bunch of other games, but you don't. I literally have a list, and I'm just not going to go through all of them. I'll just <laughs> I'll just keep it with 18 Chesapeake. 18 Chesapeake is amazing. It really is. Um, for me, I'm I'm just going to continue what I'm doing with this segment, which is is talk about uh, uh, how I am trying to gamify uh, publishing and uh, and uh, novel writing. Uh, this week's uh, adventure was pricing strategy, which has a connection to the cost. Uh, mm. it, it definitely has, you know, there, there are some games where, where pricing is everything, right? Uh, food chain magnate pricing is, is so crucial in that game. There are other games where you're trying to undercut and all that sort of stuff. Well, it turns out that in, uh, novels, you, there's so many things to consider that I'm just, that I'm just learning about. But the main thing is, is that most novels are going to be sold on Amazon. It's just the huge, massive thing, right? There are other places. There are other places to sell them, but that is the one. And they have this policy whereby if you set your price between $2.99 and $9.99, you get a 70% royalty. 70% of the the earnings come back to you. If you set it for $2.98 or $10, 
you get a 30% royalty. 30 or 35, something like that. It, it's, it's, it's below, no, it's 30, because it's below half. So all of a sudden, they're kind of, they're compressing, you know, they're adding score compression in, and they're forcing you into this box. But I think they're doing it mostly because it makes, it makes financial sense to them and mostly to you. I think setting, you know, most, game, most books that I'll be selling are going to be digital downloads. It's, it's exploding. It's growing every single day. And so trying to find the what, what price point do you set a book at um, knowing that that seventy percent margin is such a huge difference between a thirty percent a thirty percent margin and that you're kind of locked in there. But then, what do you do? Do you set it at two ninety nine? If you set it at two ninety nine, guess what? You've got thousands of other books that are going to be set exactly at two ninety nine. And does that become does that become kind of a scarlet letter? Does that become a warning sign that oh, they set it at the minimum price where they can where they, where they can make a living? And by setting it higher, are you standing out but in the wrong way? So yeah, it's kind of fascinating trying to figure all of this out. Mm, yeah. I mean, I think actually one of the great things about board games is that there are a lot of um, lessons you start to uh, incorporate into real life. I mean, board games in many ways are a reflection of what we deal with in real life. Yeah. But there are also things like uh, concepts of engine building that – I find I oddly apply to real life situations and, uh, you know, just in terms of with my other podcasts, like growing that podcast, I suddenly now start thinking about engine building things like, oh, here's an opportunity. It won't bring in it, like it, here's a good opportunity that like will will be really good for the exposure of the podcast and it'll require a certain amount of work on our part with not a lot of, you know, reward in terms of like we wouldn't get any money or something like that. Right. But is this like the engine building of growing it, right? Like am I like taking a turn right now where I'm not getting victory points, but like, you know, in round three, my engine will be going full steam. And and so I start thinking about things in the, in those terms now. And it's really <laughs> cool how it's happening for you as well. I mean, no, not like you just started it, no, but it's like exa- seeing it in your world as well. It's exactly right. It's exactly right. They're they're talking about, hey, the best thing you can do is get a mailing list and get people on that mailing list, as many as you can, that are interested in buying your books. Because no matter what happens to Amazon, no matter what happens to Facebook, no matter what happens to anybody else, you have those email addresses. You can reach out to your audience and sell them and, and sell them your books. But getting people on that list, the best way to get people on that list is to take a loss on your books, right? To give your books away for free or almost free. And you're making nothing or next to nothing but you're you're getting people in now getting people in when i don't have book number two ready to go doesn't make a whole lot of sense right because what 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 am i going to sell them i already gave the one thing i have for sale away for free which brings us to another thing which is a rapid release strategy i'll talk about that one next week as as sort of a uh, as sort of a game strategy the the rapid release strategy is kind of what paul plays in about half of the games where he shoots out (laughs) no it's you know where where you oh it's true it's true yeah, yeah. Where you just spawn the board, you you sweep out to an early lead and make everyone react to you. I mean, it's it's actually mm. what you do in Ricochet Robots, where you call out a number before you've even no. figured out what it is. No, yeah. it's, it's, and I think it's, we may be discussing it in the cost. I have a, I have a strange <laughs> feeling that this is going to be a perfect segue towards that. <laughs> All right. Um, 
we are going to say that uh, for the 8x8 challenge, we haven't done anything on the 8x8 challenge today. And guess what? We got a very special episode here. Do you realize that the Game Brain Top 50, you two fellows, are going to join me for the end of the Game Brain Top 50? Oh, my God. I'm excited. We are doing number five to our number one game, people. uh, Frankly, I I wish we had a a theme for this because this is a big moment here. Let's get right to it. All right. The number five game all time from the Game Brain crew. Uh, This is also one that is going to be on our list and probably not on any other list this high. It is Avalon. Avalon is huge. Dimitri's second best game. Paul's number one game. Trey's number three game. Tom's number four game. Uh, it is it's crazy that it didn't even make it higher, but it's just because, you know, the... You can blame Al- me. The, the, no, no, we, Alfred, can play, we can play Matt. We can play Alfred. We can, yes. play, we can play a lot of people. Alfred, Ben, and Matt. <laughs> Alfred, Ben, and Matt. And Jennifer, frankly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, okay. all of them are like, nope. It, it is, it, there is no bigger disparity on our board than this particular game. There are almost half of us, five of us ranked it, right? Five of ten ranked it. And four of ten ranked it in their top four. So... <laughs> So it is It is either you absolutely love and adore it or you do not care for this. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, I, it's a fun game. I just, um, I, I, I don't think, I just don't have the love for it that you guys have. And on top of that, you guys have such a crazy, intense <laughs> meta you've developed over like 45 years that like when you step into it, it's just like, it, it's like a, it's like a whirlwind, and you and people are like, well, you shouldn't do that. Well, no, if you say that, then you're obviously guilty. You can't do that because in our meta, da, da, and you're just like, whoa, you know, I'm more of a secret Hitler guy. I, I, I'm, oh, <laughs> that's my vibe. Oh, you said the wrong thing. That's bad. Oh, no, I said the right, absolute I, right I think, thing. So somebody out there has Tom's nightmare bingo. Uh, bingo would be uh, fantasy themed, uh, secret Hitler. Catherine Heigl and Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> there you go. That you is go. That, that is not bad. That's not a bad game too. I I, I back that game. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on Bingo to number, number four. four. Number four is the cult of the new is alive and well here because last year's barrage made our number four game of all time. Dimitri had it wow. way up there. Trey voted for it. Ben voted for it. Jennifer voted for it. Jesse had it as number three game. And Jake voted for it. That's a lot of votes right there for Barrage. Uh, listen, I didn't put it in my top 20, but it's definitely in my top 40. It's, it, it's you know, it's crazy good. It's it's, re- yeah, it's, it's instant masterpiece, right? It's it's an excellent game. I mean, I've played it so many times. I don't think it's a cult of the news situation. Every single time I play it, I am just my my heart races in the excitement of what you can do and the choices you need to make and and the priorities you need to make and and knowing that when you do this you're giving up a really important opportunity to do that and it all comes together and the biggest shame truly the biggest shame is how this entire game has been hamstrung by a wretched Kickstarter experience that have soured so many people. Yep. I mean, there's this fifth player expansion that is 
you know, lost in the on the under on upside down somewhere. <laughs> um, and it's it's a shame that it's like it's totally undermining a game that really, you know, should just be like everywhere on top of everyone's minds the way Terraforming Mars was when it came out. Yeah, totally agree. Paul, it wasn't on your top 20. What's what's the deal? Uh, yeah, you know, Paul. that might have been an oversight, but like it wouldn't have ranked that high because ultimately it's still pretty new. And I have a feeling that there are just games that are really hot for a while and then they're and then they yeah. fizzle out. You just don't want to play them again. And I, I think we've played enough games that we go like, oh, I'm really, really interested in this. But I don't think or I don't know if like me plus six months is going to be so really, really interested in this. Like, you know, uh, it, it, might, it might wind up like Yokohama at some point. That's the same reason it wasn't on my top list for the exact same reason. I was like, well, probably it's in my top 20 right now, but I, I haven't played it enough to know if it's going to last. So I'm, I'm not right. going to put I'm not going to put it up there. Well, we could talk about that in the in the discussion. I think sure. I think it'd be really interesting comparing Barrage and Yokohama. Oh, mm-hmm. right, yeah, good point. Sure, good point. Number three, all time game brain best games, Gaia Project. That's right. Gaia Project is in the top ten, not top twenty, for Dimitri, Paul, Trey, Matt, Tom, and Jesse. All of us top ten. Ben, why isn't it on your list at all? What? Um, okay, all right. Why do you hate America? And as a side note, all. the second question, why do you hate America? <laughs> Feel free, go. Um, I haven't played it enough. So I've only played it twice. The first time I played it was like two years ago. The second time I played it was about six months ago. Um, I greatly enjoyed it. The first time, I, first time I liked it a lot, I definitely liked it more than Terraforming Mars. Terraforming Mars... I enjoy it has just never captured my imagination. And then um uh but Gaia Project I thought was really interesting, but I didn't play it again until a few months ago. And again, I really liked it a lot, but I just don't have enough plays to determine whether or not it's a top twenty game for me. I think hundred percent fair. It, it really good. It's really good, but it's it's just Yeah, you gotta you gotta get oh, more yeah. reps. Gotta get more reps. What you, well what you just said is basically to Tom, this is the only answer that I will accept. it is it is so good it is so good that it makes me mad at terra mystica (laughs) i get mad the game that that brought that birthed this game i get mad at because the designers keep making expansions for that game and i'm like you have a better game make expansions for the better game a better non-fantasy game, <laughs> sci-fi. Kind of, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Though I will say, now that we're talking about it, I will say that the thematically, the alien theme for Gaia Project doesn't make any particular sense because there's nothing to anchor it to. Whereas the no history. The, whereas the Terra Mystica, you know, we know what dwarves are, so their power makes sense. We know what halflings mm. are, so their we know what mermaids are, so their powers all make sense in that world. So in that one sense, Terra Mystica is is better because the aliens they're they're just not tethered to anything. They're not tethered to any kind of myth or anything. So 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 if Terra Mystica just made a a, a variable board, would it just solve everything? 
No, no, because the the difference the, tracks. the, the biggest difference you is the tracks. the tracks. Exactly right. The mm. technology track versus the temple track is a gotcha. huge innovation. Huge. Sure. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Huge. I uh, I yeah, it's something I need to explore more. Um I I wish I wish there were an implementation of it on Board Game Arena. I that was I, yeah. I was almost going to be my proposal for a discussion this week where games I would love to see on Board Game Arena that would sure. probably be on the list. Oh yeah, absolutely. No question about it. And then we're down to number 2 and number 1. Interesting point on number 2 and number 1. Number 2 and number 1 were both voted on by Tom and Ben, but neither were voted on by Paul. Yes, I know. This is you know, when I realized what what these were going to be, I was like, ugh. <laughs> what is it? I'm so excited. I don't remember what the list is, so I'm like, I'm on the edge of my seat. I the can't wait. I love the number two game of all time on board on Game Brain is Lorenzo Il Magnifico. Mm. Could could it not be not not, not so magnifico? <laughs> Well, almost magnifico. It it was voted on. It was voted by Dimitri, Elder, Trey, Matt had it as his number three. Ben, Tom, Alfred has it as his number two, and Jesse. That means everybody except for Paul, Jennifer, and Jake. Yeah, have great that. taste. But, but, yeah, have great taste. Thank you, thank you, Ben. I feel, I'm feeling aggressed. <laughs> it is. It, it, it is a such a good game. It is it 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 doesn't out out uh, where it's welcome. It's it, it it's quick. It's, it's so meaty. Fun. It's it's tough choices. Um, that variable player start in the expansion is astonishing. How good it is! I I, yeah. I will give it that. Yes, with the variable player, it's it's more interesting to me. It I have been like yeah. oh, you, you go Ben. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm like, uh, I just drank like a gulp of coffee and I'm caffeinated. I'm like interrupting left and right. You finish your thought. I have no oh, right to uh, keep uh, talking right now. <laughs> like, like for, for all of it, like, you know, it doesn't capture my imagination. You know, it really, it really doesn't. It's, it's one of those things where I go, I see everything that people are talking about. I see that, you know, it's doing these things, blah, blah, blah. But for some reason it feels, and I know this is going to be like, you know, uh, a uh, war-causing comic, but like, it feels a little soulless to me. To me, I, obviously, like you know, I kind of I don't disagree with that. I don't think that the theme of it does nothing. The theme of it mm-hmm. does nothing for me. I mean, it it it's, it it is as common as the fantasy theme is the ancient Rome theme, or, or mm-hmm. you know, Renaissance a, a Renaissance theme. Exactly. It is it is as played out as anything else. And really, the mechanics don't particularly fit anything that well. Why? Why are these people in this tower versus this tower? What is the? What is the? What yeah. exactly are we doing? It, it's. It is a game that succeeds despite its theming, not because of its theming. Yeah, it that's a great, great no, point. No, no. I think it's. I think of those games from the, from the those designers, the Italian designers who came out with like, um, and they continue to come out with like a flurry of kind of dice-driven games like Grand Austria Hotel and Marco Polo, Coimbra, and, you know, some others. Uh, this, to me, was the one that just, like, got my heart racing the most. This is, this is probably my favorite of that group, and I actually feel like I'm, I am disappointed in myself that I've actually not played it more than I have. I, I feel like at this point I should have played it, like, 15 times, and I think I've actually only really played it, like four or five times and it's a great game and i've been sitting on the expansion for two years and still haven't even played the expansion 
but I, I did. I, I it's it's a super fun game, and every time I I see the box, I get I'm like, oh, I love that game. I just don't know why. I, I they guess. Didn't... Oh, go ahead, Paul. Uh, I was gonna say for me, like you know, I feel like what would have made me put it on the list is if the expansion rather than give on the fifth tower, like you know, the uh, basically uh, basically it's a kind of like a wild card tower where it's one of the four things like if it was something uniquely different uh, or maybe something completely uh new to the game as for, that would have done it for me but it just seemed like a very like a punt for a fifth column for a fifth tower right right um yeah I, I get that i just don't understand why they didn't just make you know tower number one the potions tower and number two the fire spell tower and number three actually the, the biggest offense in the game the biggest offense is that the player aid for all the um special powers is not in alphabetical order and it's just like oh, it the is. most annoying thing in the world oh it's awful having to search for those things it's true that is true that is a searching fair, is hard fact. and now we are to the number one game listeners can you figure out what it is you probably could um but let me just say, it shocked me how high this one is. Uh, how uh, So um, Lorenzo and this game both appeared on eight lists out of ten. So eight people out of ten voted for it. But it's totals in terms of the, in terms of the number of votes based on position. Um, Lorenzo had 83 points. This has 102 points. It's a... It's almost a 20-point jump. It is so far and above everything else. It is a, it could not be, it is not a squeaker by any stretch of the imagination. Far and away, the number one game for Game Brain, which is surprising to me, is Great Western Trail. Mm, Alexander Fister, yeah. congratulations. It is yours. And of the eight people that voted for it, I ranked it the lowest which is interesting. Dimitri voted for it. Trey has it in his top 10. Matt has it in his top five. Ben, you have it in your top three or four. Jennifer, oh, yeah. Jennifer <laughs> in, her, in her top 10. Me, I voted for it, but uh, I think it's my 12th favorite. Um, Alfred in his top two or three, and Jesse. So there you go. And you know what's so strange? It's, it's, it's a by far and away number one game in our group, but I actually feel like in terms of our chatter, either on the podcast or off the po- podcast, you wouldn't necessarily know that. It's not like we talk about it a lot. We, we don't. Definitely don't. We haven't played it as a group. I haven't played it with you guys. I haven't played the game action in a while. Um, it's not, I mean, I feel like Age of Steam gets referenced every five seconds. It's like, oh, did you see that uh, Steven Sondheim 85th birthday celebration? Yeah, it reminded me of Age of Steam. I'm like, <laughs> what? You know, it's like all the time. Somehow Age of Steam creeps up. But Great Western Trail for being our number one. We don't talk about it a lot, which actually makes me feel like we are due to play it. Well, I I think we play we play it quite a quite a bit, so I'm not sure if if it's just been a confluence that you you maybe that's been, what it was. have been around for it. But to me, Great Western Trail is a grilled cheese sandwich and a hot bowl of tomato soup. It Yum. is not. It's not. It's it's not sexy. It's not. It's not incredible. But it is so comforting and so great that any time we don't, we're not sure what we're gonna do. We can always pull out Great Western Trail, and we often do. I think the expansion uh, breathed a lot of good new life in the game. I think we we play with that expansion, and you can play it right away. And yet, you see, there's some added depth to it that that wasn't there before uh mm-hmm. it's a it's a very good game i mean it's you know, such a fun game unless you're paul unless, unless you're, you're me 
Well, to be fair, I actually very much like uh, the game. I think it's great. I, I like it more than Lorenzo. I was so glad that this became first out rather than Men, uh, Magnifico because I was being ah, don't be Lorenzo, please don't be Lorenzo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and uh, I feel like it's fine. It just didn't make my twenty. Mm-hmm. You know, sure, I, sure. Like because I because for all of it, it's going to be in my Yokohama. Uh, you know, your the the equivalent to your Yokohama thing. Like I'll see it. But there isn't a point where I'll go, let's play it. I'll play it with you guys, you know, and I'll do the Cal strategy and I'll come in first or last. <laughs> but, you know, but like, you know, but, wow. and I'll have a good time. But it's not anything that I would go, let's play Great Western Trail. And I felt like that was something that you should, I feel like your top 20, you should at one point say, I want to play, you know? Sure. That's fair. Sure. Yeah. So that was it. That was uh, the Game Brain Top 50 Games of All Time. Really quick, I'm going to run through the top 20 for you. Teotihuacan was number 20, 19, Through the Ages, 18, Agricola, 17, Ricochet Robot, 16, Eclipse, 15, Brass, 14, Madeira, 13, D-Mocker. 13, how dare you. Concordia was number 12, Twilight Struggle, number 11, The Gallerist, number 10, Zolkin, number 9, Terraforming Mars, number 8, Tichu, number 7, Age of Steam, number 6, and as we just said, Avalon, Barrage, Gaia Project, Lorenzo, and our number one game, Great Western Trail. I'm kind of great pr- list. I, I'm kind of proud of our list, guys. I'm, I think it's great. I think it's, it's a good list. I think it's a pretty good representation of uh, of who we are as as gamers, and I think it's I think it's I think it speaks well. Um, really it's just a, it's also a great it's a great starting point for people who are just getting into the hobby and want to explore because um, whether a game is fifty or number one, it sort of doesn't matter. The point is that these are like fifty games that represent a diversity of of interests and. Um, and gameplay and strategy yeah. and all that stuff, and you kind of can't go wrong. Although I'm a little surprised that Concordia didn't get actually break into the top ten. I will say that, but um, sure. it's it honestly is a great variety in display. I I, I love it. I I think you guys should uh, publish it on um, on uh, Board Game Geek so that way people could really use it as a reference. Oh, put up a geek list. That's a great idea. Yeah, yeah, that is yeah, a for sure. great idea. Que- I love that. Que- question: Did any of our group pick? Uh, Great Western Trail as their number one. Nope. Uh, so I think it, what make, what's really good is like you can see that this is like really an average of our group yeah. because despite the fact that like you know our number one game was number one by a lot, you know, no one picks it as number one. It was Alfred's number three, Ben's number four, Matt's number six. So there you the, and yeah. and it was still it was in the top ten also for Jesse, Jennifer, and Trey. So. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 interesting. It's a, it's a good list as far as that is concerned. It represents us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much so. Well, let's move on to the review. We have a very interesting game to talk about today. This is going to be, in some ways, it's very much like all the games that we talk about, but in one very particular way, it is quite different. We're going to talk about the cost. It is a 2020 release by Armando, or Mo Canales. Um, Mo is a, uh, this is his first game design, but he is very much a fixture in the game hobby. He has a very popular group on Facebook about board games. And uh, the design, the artist is the famous Harold Liesky, and it is published by Spielworks. Ben, why don't you start off by telling us what the heck this thing is? 
So this is a very fascinating uh, economic uh, economic logistics game, uh, but that is uh, but that strives to have a moral compass. Basically, what's happening is that we are playing different companies uh, who are in the in, in the asbestos industry, and um, we are mil- we're mining raw asbestos. We're we're transporting it over to mills to refine it. We're transporting it from the mills to various markets to sell it to make a profit. But all along the way, we are grappling with the question of do we do we mine and mill safely or unsafely? Because if you do it safely. Um, you uh, you have to spend a lot of resources to to make your product or to refine your product. Um, and if you do it unsafely, you don't have to spend anything, so you're going to get a competitive edge, but you suffer fatalities in your mine or your mill. And those fatalities um, will add up and start to have consequences. And so um, the game is kind of asking you, um, what would you do to uh, corner a market, what would you do for money? Like, or, or what are the ills of capitalism? Perhaps I don't know. There are a lot of things we could read into it. Mm-hmm. But what's it, so uh, what's interesting is that this isn't just your normal economic euro of moving things around a map and selling them. That there's it's also trying to ask a question of the player, which is why the game is called the cost. Like, what is the cost of something like asbestos and the asbestos industry? And that's that's essentially what the game is. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, now the way it plays is it plays like a pretty deep, involved economic game, right? You are yes uh, selecting selecting actions, and the actions are invariably about gaining money and building up industry. And the industry that you can build up is you can build up rail lines, you can build mm-hmm. up uh, ports. Uh, you can build mines, or you can build uh, refineries, right? Those are the those that that's essentially all of the decision space, correct? Yeah. So basically, the every there's four rounds in the game, and every round has four phases. And the first phase in a game in a round is all about building building your stuff. So it's like what Tom said: mills, mi- mills, mines, railroads, ports. Those are basically the things you can build. And there's another action where you can just sort of get re- local resources. And the second second phase is where you're going to be gaining resources. And what's interesting about the game is that we have actually four small maps in front of us. Uh, and each map represents a fictional country. And by the way, I really like that they cho- made fictional countries. You know, we have seen way too... We've had way, There have been way too many discussions in board games about um, times when theme has ventured into a country and caused problematic issues. And it's like, why don't you just make a fake country? And, and here they did it. They said, we're just making fake countries. Thank you for doing that. So there are four countries, and what's interesting is if you, when you are operating in different countries, you have to use that country's resources or currency. So there is a phase where you can turn your money into the resources for that country. So uh, that's sort of like there's some planning going on there. And then after you, you sort of have taken in the resources that you need to operate your mills and mines and things like that or to build on a future turn, we then go into phase three. And phase three is where we say, hey, all that stuff that we built, now we're going to run it. So this is when you this is when you mine for the raw asbestos. This is when you move the asbestos. This is when you mill the asbestos. So you're sort of like running your stuff now, and that's when you're going to turn the asbestos in 
for cash. And this is also where you have to make that decision of whether or not you're going to be doing all this stuff safely or unsafely. And then the, the fourth phase is sort of like the cleanup, turn order, things like that. And so you rinse and repeat and you do that four times. But what's interesting is in, um, in that third phase, if you decide to run, operate something unsafely, not only does uh, someone in your factory die, but um, the market that you know we said before we sell the asbestos to a, to refine asbestos to a market, the market starts to shrink, demand starts to drop because oh there's probably some bad publicity or oh wow we're hearing that the asbestos is not so great, etc. And if the market the market can totally collapse, and if it does, you actually remove that entire board from the game. Um, uh, and everything that you invested in that country is basically out the window. And this is where probably Paul is thinking of CO2 because at some point you could theoretically destroy the market in all four countries and then the game just ends. Um, uh, so that's like another really unique part of it. But that's essentially a, like an overview of how everything sort of flows in this, in this game. Right. Which is, uh, so some of the, uh, the unique pieces of this, because you could, Probably, if you're thinking about it, you probably say, "Okay, well, so there, there are mines, there are train tracks, there are ports. I mean, how is it that different than brass?" Well, right. one of the ways it's different than brass is the four country aspect. The four countries are interesting in a couple different ways. One is they each have their own local currency, so there becomes a currency game where you are going to have to take your money, which are victory points and convert them into various local currencies to be able to build, to be able to pay for your workers in order to mine safely and, and all of that sort of stuff. These things are going to need to be f- figured out in order to run your empire as best as you can, which is really interesting. Second, yeah. thing, second thing is that each nation is going to behave differently. There are these red and green cubes that are on industrial spaces in each territory. Red and blue. Uh, sorry, red and blue. Correct. Thank you. Uh, and when you take one of these, when you build on one of those spots, you take that cube and you move it up to the kind of national board. And essentially, a a blue cube will move the political situation in that country one space to the blue side. A red cube will move it one space to the red side. In the neutral space, the country is just normal and operates normally. With each space that it moves up on one or the other side, advantages pop up. All of a sudden, if it's moving up the red side, your mines earn more money. Your refineries earn more money. Selling to a particular market earns more money. It's, it's sort of a capitalist free freewheeling. You can, ha- uh, yeah, you can have more you, you can have more people. It's it's very much like uh, benefits for your businesses, right? You can have you can staff more people and then to the left you get benefits for your infrastructure. So your rails and your ports get more and more powerful. So that's sort of how the 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 depending on how you affect the politics in a country will impact how effective your investments in that country are, and that's a very that's very unique. I haven't seen that. Mm-hmm, I can't think great. of I can't think of another game that that does that, um, and it gives this game a very particular uh, a, a flavor in terms of the way it, yeah. it plays out. Which is interesting. I, I I think one one thing that actually is kind of key to the game that makes it it have a lot of tension is that every thing that you put out, whether it be a factory or a mill, must produce. You know, yes. if they have the ability to produce, even if you don't have the money to pay your workers, 
So what happens yeah. is like if you if you miscalculate or God forbid someone like me uh, puts something into your uh, say your mill for example and you must refine that asbestos and you don't have enough money you will have to hurt your market to do that and I think yeah. that that is actually where it becomes crunchy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, but that, that's yeah. But just yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, because. Um, the way that the, um, the 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 third phase operates is that if you have the ability to mine, if you have the ability to mill, and if you have the ability to move your asbestos around the board, you must do that. And if you don't have those abilities, you can do things like you can either just pass or you can spend money to sort of invest in your own little company. And like you can go up these little tracks that will improve different qualities like your asbestos will be worth more or if you sell it to you can sell to an emerging market which is kind of like uh in brass when you sell your uh to the farm your cotton to the farm market it's sort of like that kind of vibe Mm -hmm. um so you can get more of a return on that um but if but you can only you can only invest in yourself if you have if you're incapable of doing those first three things so you are forced to get this this logistics puzzle, it has to, it has to go like it, it has to move, which is, has good sides and bad sides to it. Yeah, it is. It, it is. It, it's, it's a very interesting game in that it makes for some very difficult choices and the choices of player a can significantly affect and impact the, uh, uh, what player B is going to have to, uh, respond to or or, or rely upon, and it, it's it, it's actually a, a quite an interesting little mousetrap that uh, that that Mo has created here. It, it's, it's, yeah, it's it's actually it's a, it's an incredibly dynamic game. Like it is really 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 dynamic. Okay, because um, you know when you in that first phase when you were deciding how to build, first of all, there is a you, you don't just say oh I'm building a mill. There's this funky kind of action board where there's a bunch of hexes. Each hex represents an action, and they they connect to each other. And when you do your when you decide your actions, it's sort of like Catan when you build a settlement. How it has to be in the intersection of the hexes. You put like a marker in these intersections and wherever the the spaces that you intersect with those are the three actions that you're going to be doing so you have to consider that and what's available and what's good and what could be done and all those actions have to take place in only one country so you have to choose which country and then you think to yourself okay well i really want to build a mine right now because this feels like a good thing to do but um i don't know if i want like these countries right here, the political situation doesn't really benefit building a mine. So I don't know if I want to build there. Um, and then the, but the place where it does benefit a mine, the exchange rate for, to get resources to run that mine is really bad. Um, because the other thing is as we are doing, as we invest in countries, the exchange rate will go up and down. So, uh, you know, you obviously want a really good exchange rate. So that way when your dollar will get you three resources for that country instead of one. So, Everything that everyone does affects all these things, and so you're co- everything is always changing in a way that's super cool. Yeah, or, or terribly frustrating and horrible because there <laughs> okay. is a there is a point at which the uh, the uh, benefit to a player of a dynamic system turns on its head and suddenly becomes too chaotic. 
Um, I wouldn't say that we're there in this, but it is. it does have potential to be a situation in which, in a four-player game, the three players that went before me have created a situation whereby whereby my strategy is no longer tenable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one thing that we that we've definitely discovered over the gameplays, and something that came through really strongly when we did a three-player game, Paul Trey and I did, um, is that this is sort of like a fragile ecosystem of a game, and so. It's going the, the this game is going to at so far and by the way we've we've only played I've played it at this point I think four or five times yeah um, so far it feels like the game is going to be impacted positively or negatively based on how the players play meaning that if the players play a certain way the game could kind of fall on its face like it it, it could sort of the all these interesting systems can kind of like collapse on each other. And if they get, if the players play in a different way or a more sort of thoughtful way, mm-hmm. the game comes together and sings. And um, that's an interesting dilemma. And I'll, I'll expand upon that some more in a little bit, but um, uh, that is something that has to be considered that like that, that how you play this game will determine how much you get out of the game. Would you say that might, do you think I'm describing that correctly, Paul? I, I think so. Like it, the way that I would say is like, uh, imagine, hey, guess what? Age of Steam. <laughs> <laughs> imagine Age of Steam, but you didn't know how to play. There was no meta, and you just had like four people start playing, and they play one, three, five games, and then they walk away going like, ah, it's not that great of a game, uh, because like no one really knows how to really build it. So the game is, you know can truly do i think what happens is like at least right now we're in a phase where we're not exactly sure what the best meta is or like like for example when i i see new players play age of steam they bid i'm gonna take 10 stock or i'm gonna take you know i'm gonna and i'm gonna bid like eight for like first player and you know they've killed themselves already they don't know it you know they don't know that they've done that but only through experience do you know like oh that is way too much uh and and with this game here, like, you know, there's the game itself pushes you in a certain direction. Like uh, the first game I played, I played the non non killer. But, you know, I had to play on brand the second game I played. So I I just decided to kill everyone. You know, there I was never going to pay my workers and everyone kept on dying. And we we caused this situation where. For all of it, like uh it was not enjoyable for everyone. It was great for me because I had, I had position. I just like was so far in the lead that there was no one could really catch me. There was nothing anyone could do. Mm. Uh, and, and I think like if we were to play this over a dozen times, uh, what would happen is like, I would make my move and other people would choose moves to rather than to benefit themselves to mitigate my, uh, my, mm-hmm. what you call it, uh, my your, counter your, my advantage. Your moves. So yeah. for example, like, the, the real simple thing is like, I built a mine first. I had great position. Uh, if people knew of what I was doing or that strategy, what they, all they had to do was not build a mill. And then my strategy is completely destroyed, like, you know, or at least nerfed. Mm-hmm. So, so there are ways to go about it. I don't know if we're in a place where we know what that, thing is yet but 
It's a yeah. huge sandbox. Yeah, you, yeah, you it is there. a sandbox, and and I, I think actually like one of the best parts of this game is that I think there's actually an extraordinary amount of depth. There is just so much you can do, and you know, you know, the game ends and you talk about what you could have done, what could have happened. Um, every everything you do has uh, there's like a counter. There's a there's a there's a counter to it, sort of like um, a splatter. You know, if Paul Paul is he is raising the earth, he is just tearing everything down. What would uh, other people do to stop that or to undermine him? And 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 there's like so many so many options. And we haven't really even touched on the fact that there's this whole um, infrastructure game. You know, we talked about rails and ports, but um, you know, you if you start spamming railroads all over these countries or or surrounding people's factories, et cetera, with them, uh, they you know you get a dollar every time your railroad is used. And you get a dollar every time your port is used. And then depending on the political situation, you get even more money. And then there's these other um, really interesting uh, mechanics where um, uh, you can increase your rail authority or port authority, which means that if there's a choice between your rail and someone else's, whoever has the higher rail authority has to follow your rail. So there's this game of like trying to like manipulate the the infrastructure that way, which is really fun. And, it, and I, I love the depth in this game. Mm. And I love how all these things interact. Um, but... You know, the question is, is are people if you have a game of play like Paul described where someone is just like destroying the earth and doesn't see the counters and then the game ends and they're like, oh, OK, that was fine. Is that a problem that that could be a problem for someone who who, who just bought this game? That could be a very unsatisfying experience. And why, why should we ask someone to like dive back in again after something like that? So I'll ask the game breaker, Paul, do you believe this game is eminently breakable, somewhat breakable, or not really breakable once people are better at it? The, the answer I, I come, up, come up with, because I've been thinking a lot about this, and, mm. and this is the same as, uh, that's why I had the CO2 bit. Sure. Uh, like, I think that the game, the, the quick answer is I don't know. I'm too early into the... the sure. uh, to the experience to really know. I understand that the game requires people of equal experience to play to get the most out of it. Yeah. I think, I think, I think that's sure. what this requires in a way that a lot of games don't, but at the same time, like, like Age of Steam, like, you know, you, you're not going to win your first game. And Age of Steam, it, Brass, I mean, Martin Wallace oh. designs are unforgiving in that sense. I would say Splatter as mm. well, unforgiving in that oh, sense. Absolutely. Yeah. And so the question is, can you find enjoyment despite the fact that you are your lack of experience is going to cause you to lose? And whereas Splatter and Martin Wallace, you could find something in this game. There seems to be a chasm, <laughs> <laughs> like where, uh, where, like where I've only played the game maybe one less time than Trey, and we uh, uh, and we played uh, this last game, the three player. And I just had turn position. I did the most basic strategy that I could think of. I was like, I, I went in before the game. Was, I'm just going to kill people. I need to see what that looks like. Yeah. Trey yeah. had Trey, Trey was last, and the very first thing was like, "Is there a move for me here?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and and we go and we're thinking about it. We're just talking about like, well, you could try this, but this is actually nerfed in a three player that wouldn't be the case in a four player. And we go. I don't know. And yeah. in the end, like, you know, I ended up with 44 points. Ben was at 22. And Trey was at 8. 
And I don't think Trey played badly. I, I think I, Trey I, did the best that he could, yeah, considering yeah. the situation. I mean, so this is what was interesting. So the four of us, Trey, Paul, Tom, and I, we all played last weekend. I had an absolute blast. I had so much fun. It was fun. And the the chatter around the table was fun. There was a lot of like, hey, come to my mind. Come to this mind. Like, or, or more like, come to my mill. Or... Or hey, why don't you build there and then this and whatever there was and there was just like jokes and the and it, it, the game at four players I think works really really well. I think um, uh, if you've never played before, it, you, it's still it, it, there's like a stability to the situation. Um, but with three players, we found that things went awry. And um, you know, basically what happened, like Paul said, he decided he's just going to burn down the earth. And so you know, we started on this one country, Salmo. And then he spread to UGL. And in my mind, I was like, I had this plan of, you know what I want to do? I think Paul is going to try to be chaotic. So wherever he's investing the most, I'm going to try to blow up that country. So that way, like the, the heart of his operations gets destroyed. But what, what wound up happening was, was that Paul was trying to destroy one country. And then I was following him in that country, trying to destroy him destroying that country. And so I was just following whatever he did. And then Trey was just sort of like left, you know, in third in turn order. And because the two of us kept killing people, he could never get an advantage because the way you get, like turn order is sort of weird in this game. Mm. And this was a this was sort of a problem we identified in this playthrough, which is that whoever kills the most people gets first pick of turn of, of turn order. Yep. And yep. Um, and so Paul and I kept killing the same amount of people, and so Trey literally could do nothing to change his turn order because we kept on cho- choosing this Paul kept on choosing first and I kept on choosing second so he was always third and on top of that when you're third that you have the the, the worst choices in terms of that phase one those action selections um, you have you're just if there's a, if there's a country that's on the brink of exploding your chances are it's going to explode before you even get to run your infrastructure there. there's all sorts of things that can happen from that right so so there was a lot of wonkiness that came out of that. And the reason why I'm monologuing about this right now is to say that we could have maybe prevented some of that wonkiness if when we saw what Paul was doing, Trey and I said, hey, we should um, work together to stop this madness that Paul is doing. And it didn't occur to us to do that for a long time. And the game doesn't do anything to say you guys should talk, right? Right. So if you're not thinking on that level, the game's going to sort of fall apart. And I think that's what we're talking about, that it's a fragile ecosystem. The game says, okay, here are these systems, play in them, uh, you can mess it up real bad. Uh, and that's going to be on you. So do you think that there is a, a problem with the three-player version of this game, or am I just such a delight that my absence <laughs> drives things to heck? Do they have to be mutually mutually? It could be exclusive? both. It could be both. I will accept both. <laughs> no, um, here's, here's my question. Paul's strategy, right? Paul's the game breaker. That's what he does. This is this is all he does. All right, and you can't stop him. Not not all I do. I do a little more. Like, I'm a lovely person. I'm a lovely person. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I have a lot more dinners with you. Um, so we, here's the question, though: Is there a strategy for, for that last game? What could you have done besides? Not building a mill because not building a mill probably isn't a non-starter as a as a as a strategy. You're basically saying mm-hmm. of the four industries in the game, we have to eliminate one because player number one did blank. That's probably. I, 
I have a response to that. Sure. Uh, Paul has a response. And by the way, Paul has a theory, and I actually have a separate theory. Let me hear it. Let me hear it. Yeah. So, so, so in this in this particular case, I build a mill. People people suspect that I'm going to burn the world. What you do is you build roads, and then uh, player two builds a road. Player uh, uh, player uh, three builds the roads. Uh, basically, player one now will only get one dollar from uh, the uh, the first round. Sure. And player two and three get two dollars. Sure. They're they're actually in a higher uh, they're actually in a a better position now, and no one has killed anyone. Uh, no, you've killed so somebody. No, I yes, I killed someone. So well, I, I you, bu- you built a, did anyone build a mine? Or yeah, you he, just, he, he, in his example, it, he built a mine and he killed people. He he killed somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so what will happen is like you know, uh, the player one will have to build his own mine, uh, uh, not mine, his own mill. mill, and he won't have the money. So then the game becomes this kind of a uh, kind of cock blocking ish. Why why I won't think. why won't he have the money? He can he because can he choose. He only made one dollar. But he can and he choose and start with two, and he because he sold to the refined to the. He only made a dollar because he sold to the emerging market. Is but, that what you're saying? But you can exactly. choose. But you can choose an action which which gives you money in that country. Exactly, but like you know, what happened in our game was that I once round one was done, uh-huh. I had all the money I ever needed. Ah, gotcha. Like the the money becomes a real issue for uh for the that player, and then you hamstring the whole thing. It's the way I see this game. Mm. It's actually kind of a narrative, and mm-hmm. I and I and where like CO two didn't do it for me. This game does because if you keep on playing it, like if you play like oh how can we make sustainable uh, economic choices? Like I believe kind of like QE how I broke QE objectively uh, did not <laughs> didn't happen. Uh, like not true. The the, stead- the steady state version of this game, and I'm predicting. I don't know for a fact is going to be where. People are going to be punished for trying to go for the high point value, high yield, early strategy. It's going to require this long, slow burn that winds up being more sustainable. And as far as the narrative, as far as like, you know, oh, is there a way for us as humans to make money and not destroy the earth? Like this kind of guides you into that. If, but only That's, if yes. you have the, the, the patience to play 30 games and see that happen. I don't, I don't well, know if this that, yeah, anyway. Well, I mean, what's interesting is, so my proposal was, you know, and w- again, one of the issues that we had is, so Paul does, a, does his mill, he does a mill, so I think, oh, I'll do a mine, because with my mine, I'll make my raw asbestos and deliver it to Paul's mill, and when you do that, you get, you know, you get, a, you get more money by doing that than to selling it to an emerging market, okay? So I do that, he does a mill, I do a mine, supply, demand, all that stuff. And then Trey has left. The logical move it would seem would be that Trey would do a heavy, like he would just lay down all the all the rails and the ports. But as it happened, the um, the rail tile and the port tile were not adjacent to each other. So if he's going to do an action, he can't just do port and rail to do that part of the puzzle because right. that's because the the way it, the way it is. And this game does have a thing where if you pay three of your dollars, your points you can substitute one of the actions you're on for whatever action you want, but you start the game with only $2, so you can't do that on your first turn. Right. So so Trey was stuck in a position where he kind of had to build, I don't remember what, what he wound up with, but he did, he's like, okay, I'll build a mine. And then later on, what happens is in that phase we talked about, if you can move, you can move. So uh, I move my asbestos to uh, to Paul's mill. 
Okay, so his mill is occupied. So Trey has his asbestos. He has nowhere to send it but the emerging market. So he gets a terrible return. He gets like a dollar out of it. <laughs> so he like, and that's and that like sucks for him, right? Right. And and that sort of sets the tone for what's going. It, like it, it it creates all sorts of foundational issues that then plague a lot of our gameplay. Right. But what we in discussing it afterwards, you know, for me, I realized you know what we really should have done is. Maybe I should have built a mill, or Paul, Paul or Trisha built a mill, and and therefore, okay, am, Paul am is getting, doing this one thing. Am I getting thing. this wrong? Hold on one second. I just want to make sure I understand. I thought Paul built a mine first. No, Paul built a Paul. You built a mill first, right? I built a mine first. Oh, but, mine first. Oh, but, so then I made a I made a mill. Um, yes, you oh, made so you made did a, I mill. Do a mill. Yes, you did. You did a mill. But, yeah, but it, it's the same thing. It, it but either way, once once. The, the point was this, that Trey was the odd man out with his with his asbestos. Sure. And when it became obvious that he was the odd man out, starting probably in the second round, Trey and I should have immediately started thinking, okay, how can we work together? Um, like, how can, like, you have, like, I should build a second mill to therefore take Trey's die as well. And instead I built a mine. And, and Paul built his own... Uh, he built his own uh, mill. So Paul and I were sort of self-sufficient and Trey again was just left on the outside and Paul goes and he winds up, you know, taking over the entire game and it didn't, if Trey and I had, had worked together, mm-hmm. we might've been able to stop him in some form or another. We may, may have been able to stop him. And what was interesting was I was instead just kind of copying everything Paul was doing, but I was always second on turn order. Right. And in the end he destroyed the earth and he ran away with all the money, and I helped destroy the <laughs> earth, and I had nothing to show for it. And the interesting narrative takeaway is, if someone is destroying the earth, you, you're, it's in your best interest to work with other people to find a workaround. So mm. that's really cool that the game afforded that thinking point, you know? But right. was it fun getting to that thinking point? I mean, it it sounds to me like you know from from the, the play that I got in and and hearing what you guys are saying, it it sounds like there might be a a, a problem here. It's way too early to tell, but it might yeah. be there might be a problem. This is a game about asbestos mining. If the first player builds an asbestos mine, not an not an unlikely scenario. Uh, nobody can say for sure whether or not that person is is just gonna watch the world burn, as we say, uh, and mm. and just and just kill off their people. Is the counter programming to that that people can that that people kind of have to freeze themselves out of building mills, or if they do build mill? I mean, it it seems like the game might be more fragile than it at first appears, and that might be a concern. It- yeah, I think at four player it stabilizes a little bit because mm-hmm. that somehow that fourth player just sort of, you know, if you have two two people and two people kind of synergizing off of each other at three player, it, it there is one person who is definitely left out of some of the goodness. But then that's also like, but maybe the, like the players have to really be thinking not just like oh I want to do this to make my own money. I need to be thinking how I'm working with other players right. because I need to be constantly thinking about my competitive edge. Tra- while, while Paul was busy destroying the UGL, which is one of the countries, Trey and I should have just been going in together on this other country and just maybe taking it over and blocking Paul out of it entirely. You know, like there were so many things that we probably 
maybe could have done, which in one ways is like what's so cool about the game. And that why after five plays, I still feel like I, there's still so much to learn and explore about it, which is what I really, really like about it. Mm. Um, but in other ways, you could wind up with a situation where you are third in that turn order and just you you're getting crumbs and uh, nothing is working for you. And that that sucks. It sure does. The way, the way that I describe it is the game has the safeties off. Like a lot of games have are kind of like pushing you towards a certain experience. This game does not lean towards that. It says, here's something, here's a dominant strategy, or here, here's a strategy that will work, but it doesn't really push everyone into that, into that experience. So, like I said, it requ- I, I believe it requires experience. Uh, it does. Of players to play. And truth be told, like, I don't even know if, like, the rule, if it's been playtested enough. There might be some simple, like, uh, yeah. changes that could make it more appealing for everything. Yeah, uh, there, it, there are three things, I think, that we identified that we felt the rules... Okay. We, we might have liked to have seen some, some, maybe some more finessing with the rules. For me, the three were how turn order is determined. Yes. Uh, the other one is... When if you blow up all the countries, it's not like the table loses in CO two. It's just that whoever was in the lead wins. Right. So that has an impact. And I'll go into all these. Well, we'll all we'll go into all these a little bit more. I just want to lay them out. And the third one is if someone has a mill, uh, they can ultimately Destroy. they can build as many mines as they want. Yes. And they can block everyone else out of ever using their mill. And so that was also that felt also a little wonky. And, and I guess that sort of goes side by side with if you have mil, if you've mined raw asbestos and there's nowhere for you to send it, you must send it to this terrible market off to the side. So those are areas that we felt like could use some finessing. Um, Paul, do you want to talk about like the turn order situation? Yeah, I mean. Ultimately, Look, I, I, so let, right let now, me jump in here real quick for just a second yeah. and say we're 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 getting low on time here. So so oh. there are a couple things that we do need to discuss. I think of the three things you mentioned, turn order certainly seems like first of all it has the easiest fix. What if turn order is reversed and the the person who kills yes. the least determines turn order could seriously affect the problem that we that we ran into or but or if there's a tie reverse it yeah, you know but, but, but there are two more things that we do need to discuss once we're done talking about this and i do want i don't want to cut off paul i want sure. paul to talk about it the two things we're going to talk about are the theme and yeah. what does it get us and why is it there and then the last is the cost of the cost so but first yes. paul talk about uh, talk about uh, turn order and and what we do oh well, I think, you know, ultimately the person who kills the most people gets to choose. Right now, like, maybe it should be the person who kills the least. That, that's the easy fix. That's the obvious fix. I don't know if it changes mm-hmm. what the designers have wanted to create, the environment. But that's the obvious fix that would make it more Euro-ish, more uh, user-friendly. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I think so. Uh, if we want to switch to theme, like, you know, I love the theme because now. Like, you know, it's funny because CO2 has this, a very similar thing. Where, but unlike CO2, like, uh, CO2, you couldn't really achieve without other people helping you. In this game, you can achieve without people helping you. You know, you mm-hmm. can just start building your stuff. And so it feels more like a game. But it has that same, uh, same you know, if we do too many bad things, the world gets 
well, it's more like the markets just hurt. get closed down. And so uh, the fact that like if you if Paul destroys all the markets and he still somehow winds up winning, it's a very cynical message it's sending, which may be part of the intention. Yeah. But in terms of gameplay, a point that Trey brought up that was really good was that, you know, if you're in last place, you're also kind of motivated. In CO2, if you're in last place, you might be motivated just to burn the whole thing down. And it's up to everyone to say, uh, we need to keep this together, right? And here, like, there that's, was no... That's the Paul move, was, just to be clear. That's what yeah, Paul does there, every time. Yeah, and there was, like, no check on Paul here. Like, you know, he he had a lead, so he just had to destroy everything, which is really easy to do. Um, and when we got to that, our, our third round, it was clear that it was just a ticking clock. Paul already had a lead, so we sort of... It was like a death march. That's like not not the most fun. Yeah. I, I would like it if that like if if everything goes if everything blows up, no one wins. Yeah, I, I would too. And I think that if you made that change, you'd find more nuanced plays. Yeah, I, and I, I think, think, I think yeah. for me, you go, I, no, you got it. for yeah. for me, <laughs> Tom, you speak. Oh, you know, every once in a while, um, I did not feel the cost when I was playing the cost. This is a problem for me. I did not feel like the death of a factory worker was at all meaningful or impactful to me. I agree. Um, that's a problem. That's a problem. And listen, it, is a, it, it was definitely Moe's design decision to try and do this. But did it yeah. succeed? I don't know. Uh, and I will give a couple examples. I will say that antiquity... When you play Antiquity, you are putting pollution tokens out on that board and watching that board fill up with pollution tokens. Watch that beautiful little lake just be covered in pollution all around there. And once the pollution gets high enough, all of a sudden the spaces in your city are grave markers. And you're putting those grave markers down in there. It is impactful. That is a game yeah. in which I feel... The I feel how I am destroying everything around me, and that I'm yeah. trying to to just just barely keep my head above the environmental impacts of what I am what I am doing. That's a game that, but Antiquity is one of my favorite games, and it is an exceptional in that sense. Um, this game doesn't doesn't do that. I don't know what they could do to make it more impactful, but certainly. You know, certainly there's nothing in the in, in the game that makes me feel like, oh no, what 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 great cost? Because there's it's a it's a little meeple, it's a little meeple, mm -hmm. and it's there. And now I owe money on that meeple, even on turns when I don't kill any 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 meeples. That's, I mean, I I kind of get it, but I, I don't feel like the decision space is impactful. I will say one other game is a game called Train, and Train is barely a game. Let's let's recognize that. It's not really a game. It's designed to be an experience. A woman named Brenda Romero designed it. And essentially, it's these little trains on train tracks. And you have all these little meeples, essentially, or these little, little pieces, little yellow pieces. And the game, you're going to be flipping over cards. And the cards instruct you to be putting these little pieces in these little boxcars. And the idea is to get as you win the game by putting as many as you can in. The twist, of course, is that halfway through the deck, two-thirds through the deck, you're going to flip over a card that in addition to giving you the next instruction in terms of how to win the game, it mentions that the destination for this train is Auschwitz. So, I heard about this game, yeah. Yes, yes. It is incredible. 
it is really, really powerful. And she said that from the get-go, uh, she designed the game to create a feeling of complicity. That was the design. The design was to make the players feel complicit. You are doing, you are playing an optimization game, and all mm-hmm. of a sudden you realize the cost of it, quite literally, the cost of it. And yeah. I don't. And while the intention of the cost, I think, is hugely admirable, one hundred percent in favor of it. I don't know that 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 moment that that moment ever came or ever could come. So I, well, yeah, I, I, I yeah, man, I, I think the designers tried to do that with the last bit, right? Like you know, like the you after you win the game, there's a little epilogue. Is that correct, Ben? The one you yeah, when you game? win the game and you and you read the rules for endgame scoring, it then says something along the lines of, "Now look at your player board and look at how many people have died. Did you really win? Like, what was the cost for your victory? You know." So it does like say like, mm, "By the way." You're a terrible human, basically, you know. But um, what I will say this though, I think I, I I agree largely with what you're saying, Tom. Um, I th- I think what's interesting is as you discuss strategy in the game, how it's interesting how the strategy maybe parallels things we should be considering as like or industries should be considering everything we talked about uh, with that Paul was mentioning about how um you know like we it, how does one create a sustainable industry like the fact that i'm thinking about that now i think is important the fact that i, I play this game and now i think about i have those questions is good and also lots of credit to the rule book the rule book can be a little difficult to read at times but it's filled with all sorts of really interesting information about asbestos so i actually learned a lot about the asbestos industry asbestos itself so i i really appreciated the um educational aspect of the game that's great but ultimately like what you said tom when when guys died in my mind i found that every game i played there was almost like a grand theft auto quality to it where you know people I, it pains me to say it, but people would sort of be like, oh, well, I'm killing someone else. Oh, sorry, guys. Sorry, little guy. It's sort of like it's actually not it's kind of taken lightly, which, you know, I, I don't like having to admit that because it makes me sound like a really shallow person. But it but it you are it. it, it <laughs> but the truth <laughs> is, I am very shallow. But but like I tried to really pay homage to the 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 gravity here of, of what the game's trying to do. But I did find that in general, with like a lot of people I played with. It's sort of, you know, like it, it, the, the death part kind of was taken a little lightly in but actual I, gameplay. I feel like that's part of the design. I think it's supposed to be taken that way because, like, the idea is putting yourself, I, I believe, is to put the players into the realm of, like, you're an industrial, industri- du- oh, yeah. industrialist. industrialist. Yeah, exactly. And, and this is how, you know, you, if you think of, you know, just trying to win, this is the cost. And I think yeah. that's what right. tra- I think that's what they're trying to achieve with it. And I think they it's it's a very interesting way of going about it. it you know, I, and I compare it to CO two, blah blah blah. And it's really, I, I feel like its ambition is not just gameplay, but social. Like you know, mm-hmm. I, I almost feel like they're trying to change people by uh, by creating this dynamic. I don't know if they're successful entirely, but I see the ambition. I think. Oh yeah, I, I'm. I, I think I said that right off the bat. I think. Yeah. yeah I think the, there was. I'm. I laud Mo for for attempting this. I, I think mm-hmm. it's fantastic what he was going for, but 
we played under fairly ideal conditions. I knew what this game was coming into it. I knew it was about that. I was hoping, I was hoping from the moment the rules explanation began, I was hoping to have not a not a fun game, not an exciting game, not a tense game. I wanted to have an impactful game. That's that was I, I was in the right place for this, right? And I didn't feel it. And maybe it's but because he, the part. I think the, that Paul might be right, though. Maybe we, maybe Tom, you and I came into it from maybe the wrong perspective. You go into CO two. Every time that 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 CO two level thing goes up, the table is like, oh, you know, like it wants yeah. you to feel dread as it happens. And I think maybe Paul is right that maybe as you play, you sort of you lose yourself in in the quest for victory and money and points and greed and all that stuff. Mm. And then it's saying like, guess what? You just you you became one of these people that you probably thought you were going to come in and try not to be that person, does, right? Does it so maybe say, there is something about that. Does it say how many people died? Uh, what do you mean? Well, because uh, train is a great example, right? When you flip over that card and you realize this train is going to Auschwitz, mm-hmm. that is is chilling. It hits. It just yeah. it's a it's a punch to the throat, and for this to work, I would need I need a bigger punch to the throat at the end of it, right? I, it's if this game is also about complicity. And I think that's kind of what Paul is arguing to some degree is that we're playing an economic game. We're, we're, we're doing this. We're, we're complicit. What and where do we get that? What have I done feeling? And the what have I done feeling to me would be better represented if if the end of the game was please read this out to everybody. Congratulations if you won. Sorry if you didn't. Please take all of the meeples that died in the game and put them in front of you in a line. Each one of those represents two hundred thousand. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. You, you are that would a hundred thousand, a hundred thousand people, people with wives, children, stuff like that. Here is a, and here is the uh, com, uh, the companion book where you can read some of the stories of the, the families of the survivors of this uh, of this industry. Right, you know what I mean? Sure, sure. Yeah, I think that's yeah, great. And, and I think it's great. Maybe great I'm note. asking. Maybe I'm asking great. too much, but that's uh, for me. It, it it fails because it de- it it never delivers the punch that it that it wants to. So there you yeah. go. I would say, and and by the way, I would say my my final thoughts on on the game are that first of all, for a first time design, like oh my goodness, like standing ovation. Right. I think this is I think this is probably one of the most interesting games I've played in a long time. I think. I think at five plays in, I'm barely scratching the surface. And in many ways, I still want to keep playing. I, I kind of want to do another wonky three-player game just to see, like, yeah, the- could it be, a, what could we do? You know, I want to keep on trying these things. And yeah. we, I, we kind of haven't even scratched the surface, even in this review, of all the different ways you can manipulate board game state. That political situation, the the way you adjust the, the domestic markets, the way you can interact with one country with another is so... There's a lot of great stuff under the hood here. Yeah. Um, there, but there are some things that are like a little that feel at this point like, gosh, it's not fun for me to sit there while Tom just delivers from his one mind to his mill, one mind to his mill, one over and over and over again. I've maxed out all my special powers. I'm just sitting here saying pass, 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 pass. That's like a wonky thing for me. I um, very, I very much stuff enjoyed like that. that. That was fun. You know, um, I. It feels like in many ways. Um, I've had some gameplays of this that were incredibly fun. I've had some that were a little meh. Um, I th- and I think at the end of the day, when you look at how much the cost costs, as you said, yep. it's 
Right now, it's $95 yes. uh, from the Board Game Geek store, and that's a lot of money. And I understand Spielworks does limited batches, but that's a lot of money. And I think if this game were like $40, 40 to $50, I would, I actually would say still buy it because there's so much to explore. It could be like, why not? 95 is a lot. I think you have to really consider, you know, how much a game like this, like, it, like, do you want to really dive into a game that can be really amazing sometimes and then also fall on its face? Right. Paul, what do you think? You, what? I feel like it is like uh, going to a high end restaurant that like does avant-garde food. Like, you know, if you're into that, you're going to pay the price. Vespertine? And if you're, sure. <laughs> uh, if you're not into that, you shouldn't really pay the price because you're going to resent the cost. Yes. You know, I, I think it's ultimately, this is for a specific type of person looking for a specific type of experience, willing to put a certain amount of time. And if you're not that person, I don't know if I can recommend it. I'm playing, playing on it. I, it, it works for me because it, it really stimulates some of things that I really like. But I don't actually necessarily play a game for fun. I, I, I play a game for meta. And this, is, this game has so much meta forming right now for me, at least. There's, there's, there's a, the game will change accordingly to the people who play it so much mm. that it, mm. it, it really helps. My, it's really what I'm looking for. Right. And for me, I, well... Okay, so point number one is that my spidey senses are tingling a little bit in this game. And what I mean by that is we have only played it a few times, right? We have not played it anywhere near long enough to deliver any kind of judgment. But I think that given the mechanics and the things that we are seeing, there is at least a 20% chance that this game is actually broken. There's a... a, a 20% chance that as people start to play, there will be a thread on the geek which will say, when, when player one does, does this, we, the game becomes, the only response is, is this, and then this, and then this, and it spirals down, right? It, there, there is a possibility that this game, as written, is broken. Now, number one, that th- there could be a very easy fix to that, which is a great thing. But for me... A $95 game, which I'm willing to pay if it's a splatter-level game, and the, the bones of this are a splatter-level bones. They are... This is a very interesting design. It is fascinating. It is a very ambitious and interesting uh, economic puzzle that is unique and presses a, uh, presses a lot of Martin Wallace and splatter buttons while, at all, while feeling completely its own thing, which is an, an amazing accomplishment. Um, but for 95 bucks, I'm going to wait a little while and see if the community at large, you know, once 100 monkeys typing on 100 typewriters <laughs> come to their conclusion, they're going to tell us whether or not, you know, we have Shakespeare or, or, or not. I'm, I think for me, I'm going to wait and find that out. I am hoping and praying that this game, that, that our early reservations will not, be, will not be condemnatory because I do think that this is kind of an amazing design. Uh, yeah. and, then the last thing, and then the last thing is, is I stand by my, my statement on the theme of this game, that it does unfortunately not deliver on the, uh, on the promise of its intentions. And I wish that it did. I hope that somebody, you know, somebody listening, somebody on the geek, they could put together a little file to put up on, on the geek, which would create that more impactful ending that this game frankly deserves, that it's been designed to deliver 
Uh, and I hope somebody gets to get a, gets a chance to do that. So uh, the cost is a tremendously fascinating game. I'm so happy that 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 uh, Ben pushed for us to to play it and review it. And I, I'm I'm really in, I find it completely fascinating. I'm gonna still explore it, and um, you know maybe maybe again. later later around later later down in the round or next round or whatever, give like a, just a little update on how the the playthroughs. Um, have uh have evolved or not evolved um but yeah i think end of the day yeah like wow what a what a remarkable design even if it is a little broken and i think i think this game is unique enough and interesting enough and impactful enough that i think it 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 is due an update so uh, i look forward to that we will make sure that we make that happen yes let's move on to the member specific segment ben what are we going to talk about well, it's something we've kind of hinted about uh, throughout this entire episode and almost <laughs> kind of dovetails nicely with what we're talking about with the cost, which is what are the things that keep us coming back to certain games? Why is it that certain games we just come back to over and over and over again? Uh, why are there certain games that, you know, we play it, oh, that was such a good game, and then you, like, just never play it again? What are those strange X factors for all of us? Right. Why? Why is Yokohama Yokohama and and Gaia Project Gaia Project? Right. Kind of. Right. Or Barrage for me. Barrage. Or sure. You know, Terraforming Mars. You know, why, why are those games that seem to always get to the table, whereas uh, some really wonderful designs just never quite get there? That's a good point. It's a good point. I mean, you know, I'll start it off if you want me to. Uh, sure. For me. There is a, a uniqueness in mechanism that often ha- has a lot to do with. Now, listen, Lorenzo breaks almost all of my rules. Every, almost everything I'm going to talk about now, Lorenzo breaks. Lorenzo doesn't have. I mean, I guess everyone having to share the one, the the three dice. You don't have your mm-hmm. own set of dice. Everyone has to use the same dice. That's kind of unique and, 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 and kind of interesting and really sets the tone for the game. But for the most part, for me, if it has a unique mechanism that I've never quite seen before and that mechanism is tied to the theme or design of the game, that gets my, that gets my juices flown. So in Barrage, the fact that that water is going to flow down, other people can catch that water and use it, is a game is is a is a mind blowing addition to the game lexicon. Normally, you gather resources, you convert them into points, and that's the end of that. And to have that not be the end of that is the thing that makes Barrage so unique and so amazing. And the fact that it is dams and water makes it thematically relevant and 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 ties in together. Demacher, my favorite game of of all time, has so many different mechanisms that all come together to feel like everything about it feels thematic. It feels mm-hmm. like I am putting Bill Clinton out into the field to stump for me in South Dakota, right? I feel like uh, I am, you know, I'm doing a heavy ad buy in in Arkansas to try and get that to try and get that vote. I feel like those sorts of things together uh, are really unique. So that that for me is one of the things that that is the strongest indicator that this is going to be a game that I'm not just going to keep in my collection, but I am my eye is going to be drawn to it on the shelf. Yeah, I I feel like you know, there's I think interesting decisions are really important. 
I think that's something I think about a lot. Although, admittedly, you know, some of these games have really interesting decisions, and they still don't make it to the table. I mean, I, I, I'll often say to myself, like, oh, this is this game is cool, but are these are these decisions interesting? And I think that like when you have a really good puzzle, yeah, in the game that is not just creating interesting decisions, but also creating a really strong emotional response, uh, like a, a strong like, oh, I need to do this, but I can't do that, and I want to do that, and oh my god, there's so much I want to do, and if I don't do this, then he's going to do that. I think those that it creates a really like marvelous tension that, um, uh, I, I, that I, I will definitely go back to that game to sort of like crack that nut again. That's, I mean, that's what happens to me with Great Western Trail a lot, Barrage, Terraforming Mars, um, that's, you know, you know, you're just putting those cards together and trying to figure out like how's the best way I can get this to work out. Underwater cities is also the same for me. Like, oh, I need this card, but I want that card. If I can really get like a really juicy choice that I have to um, choose between, that will definitely have me coming back. Yeah, totally, Paul. Yeah, like, well, I think ultimately for me, uh, I'm looking for something that's going to create an emotional response between for me and my people I play with. I, there's never a game that I would want to play that the other players don't want to play. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and so I think Trey put it best. He talked about good frustration. Yeah. I think a, a game that can really elicit good frustration, usually meaning that the stakes are very high in the two choices or there's a lot of choices. Versus bad frustration, which is basically I can't do anything. Uh, yeah. and, and I think like a game that can elicit good frustration is what, and I don't want to say say something so overarching, is what we actually find good in games. Mm-hmm. Like I, I love Avalon because it starts off with like this percentage of like everyone is you know could be good or bad, and it slowly comes down to. Uh, now I have to decide who is good and bad, and the stakes are so high now because, like, if I choose wrong, the game's over, and I lose it. And if yeah, so, like, it has this. It really deals with frustration in a really good way. It like it changes from like broad frustration to narrow frustration with high stakes, but it never becomes bad frustration. Mm-hmm. So that, that's how I would say it. Like, you know, if you could find a game, and, and what people consider frustrating is very different. Like we, we like the idea of, uh, of progress. We, we like games that feel like, Oh, we're building something. We're making something, but ultimately the frustration comes from, are we making the right thing? Are we making mm-hmm. the best version of that thing? And I think like those, when you ha- when it's clear what you're building, what is clear, what you're trying to do, uh, I hit, I'll, I'll, I'll quote Jesse now, like, you know, you hit that level of flow. Yeah. And if you get flow, involvement, and that, you know, and for me, the thing that I really care about is stake. You, I, I know you want to win because you want to win. I want to take that from you. Now we're dealing with it on any emotional engagement, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that, that's what I, I, I look for in a game. Uh, I think, yeah, I think that a narrative me. arc is also really important. I think that, like, you know, I think flow and interesting decisions. Uh, I think everything we've talked about is all really, really important. And I think probably the ultimately what will be the the final answer is everything we're talking about. A game that has all those elements is going to be the one that we come back to. Sure. But I think that also a narrative arc 
is really is essential. And what I mean is not that it's a storytelling game. It's that, you know, like sort of like the I, I feel like like, you know, most most entertainments that we have follow like a three act structure in some form or another. Mm-hmm. And I think games do that as well. Uh, the best games really follow that. I think of Concordia. I even think of Catan. Like the, 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 the way the beginning of the game feels is remarkably different than the way the end of the game feels in terms mm-hmm. of the board state, what you're doing, what you're, what, what you're able to pull off. And I think, and same with Avalon, you know, just the way things start and the way they develop, it should take you a little bit on a journey. And I think of some games, I think of Yokohama, uh, I think of Coimbra, um, I think of, uh, I don't know, there, there are a bunch of games that maybe don't take us on that journey as strongly. I, I don't think, like, maybe one of the issues with Yokohama is that there are really interesting decisions. There's a lot of fun stuff of trying to figure out your paths, and there's a lot of, like, joking at the table, like, oh, you're in my way. But in the end, you're just sort of, like, picking up resources and cashing them in. And um, it's really fun along the way, but maybe sometimes there's not a huge amount of difference between the beginning and the end of the game, you have more buildings up, you may have some more powers, but it doesn't have that like narrative arc that like maybe captures the imagination a little bit. Were we talking about Lorenzo? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that might be an issue for some people with Lorenzo, but Lorenzo, you do sort of feel like, well, I've built up my player board and I have like, I can run my little engine here or there. So I do feel like maybe it engages more in that way. I think maybe that's why engine building games, people really love those because they sort of have an inherent, three act structure in them maybe i'm maybe. gonna pick i'm gonna pick the four games of the game brain top 50 that are the outliers the ones that uh yes looking at other sure. people's lists and looking at our list the four games that that are the odd man out that aren't going to be on other people's lists are avalon teach you um ricochet robots and fresh fish, fresh fish. and fresh yeah. fish those are the those are the four and when you look at them, I think that the the common element in those is heightened emotional state. In, yep. in Ricochet Robots, it is because of the timer. It's because everybody is staring completely silently at a board and trying to outthink the other 10 people that are staring at that board that second. And when somebody calls out a number and you realize you were about a second away from saying that same number... It's just crushing. In Fresh Fish, the the fact that you are you are being boxed into worse and worse position as the game goes on and just mm. dying to dying to be able to do do something that seems so simple, which is just just build this thing and have a road go to the place that it's supposed to go to. It seems so simple, but the game conspires to to kill that in you teach you you are working with a partner and you are desperate for that partner to do a instead of b but i have no way to con to to tell them to do a not b and 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 that Mm -hmm. partnership element is so strong and avalon the whole game of avalon is essentially a a crucible in which we are attempting to figure out what the hell is going on while at the, it just huge heightened emotionality and and so those four games which coincidentally are four of my my absolute favorite favorite games I wouldn't say they're they're exactly narrative or theatrical I'm not sure yeah. 
that well, uh, I mean, teach you, teach you um, only in the sense of points because teach you that the, yeah. the last round is exactly the same as the first round, uh, except for you know we're we're yeah you're right 100 points from winning, but but yeah, Ricochet Robots I would not say has a huge three act structure. No, um, unless it has an emotional three act structure where you start to where it's like in the beginning someone's saying like certain t- oh yeah like ten, but then you then the pressure gets on so that it sort of like ramps up like I gotta be faster at this I gotta be faster I'm running out of time so like you could make an argument for that I think it's um, more I think of a that game u- show ultimately maybe where the intersection is is that. With a three-act structure, a narrative arc, it's going to get you emotionally invested. Yeah. And so whether you're emotionally invested because of a narrative arc, which will, I think, do it pretty easily, or the game creates that heightened that heightened emotional state, you're going to be emotionally invested. And especially if you can be emotionally invested in something with a bunch of friends, yeah. that's kind of the best. Right? And Because then you walk away from it like, oh, my God, remember that time? da 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 Remember? Even, you know... You know, Paul. I think something you mentioned too is like the, what the memories, right? And, yep. and I think yep. if you if you have a playthrough of any game that just you're like, oh wow, that was great. You're gonna want to go back there and relive those memories because I feel like sometimes part of setting up a game night and putting that board on the table mm. is like there's a little bit of social engineering, right? You kind of want <laughs> you kind of want to like you're like, oh yeah, I have these three friends, and I bet if we do this. We're gonna have an amazing time because I remember I played it once and I, I I got this great emotional response when I played this game and I would love to see how it would play out with these people instead because I bet it would be even better, you know? Totally. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I think there's a there's two things that games do. Uh, there's the what it does for you and then what it does for everyone. And I feel like for all of it, everyone who plays games will tend to enjoy puzzles, you know, they'll tend to enjoy like, oh, here, how can I do blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But what makes board games great is that you guys are doing it together, you know, and that's not always, you know, no game mechanism is ever going to make me go like, oh, my God, I love this game because of its mechanism. At the very best, I go, oh, that's quite intriguing. That's intellectually uh, interesting. And I'm very interested in trying to understand that. Mm. But almost always going to be how it pulls your group together because games are here for to connect you know like we're we're doing we're playing games so that we can hang out so we can you know revel in in each other's humanity you know it sounds all touchy-feely but like you know i think though yeah i think that's what games are for and i think with that uh as long as the game facilitates that but its ability to facilitate that is what's going to make me go to the game more often. Yeah. Now, I have a question, because one thing that people focus on a lot is variability in a game, right? And it seems like everything we're discussing seems like it could exist independently of variability. So does a game need to be variable? Does it need to have a whole bunch of different setups, et cetera, to make, you, to, to make uh, it work? My, my thought on that is, like, part of a game is having people come in together with stake interested in the game but once a game becomes stagnant that uh then you you lose people investing their emotional energy into it because like oh it's, it's this form i know what this is variability keeps that longevity yeah uh, there are some games 
what you don't want is you don't want a game to become stagnant. I think that's exactly what Paul said. Mm. Look, Ricochet Robots has no variability, really. I mean, the, the board changes every single time you yeah. play, but other than that, no variability. But Ricochet Robots is more of a game show than a, than, mm-hmm. than a game. And guess what? Game shows are exactly the same every single time. The, yeah. the, the challenge for each question is different, but there's no, there's no real difference in, in the game itself. Whereas, but there are some games that feel a little samey from time to time and from play to play, and I don't want to feel samey, right? Mm. Most games, they don't need a lot of variability to become very different plays, right? Right. They don't need a lot, yes. just a little. Yeah, I always think of Hansa Teutonica. That's my go-to for something that's like pretty much the exact same setup every single time and always has a very fascinating evolution of the game that's different. And I always wonder, why does that game work so, so, so well? And it has literally the same beginning, just the, the smallest ounce of variability, whereas other games just go out of their way to just create the most variable setup that you can even <laughs> imagine. There's this and there's that and there's this and that. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. So I wonder what that is that, that causes well, there's an that assur- stagnancy. There's an assuredness in the design, right? There's right. It's it's always safe to create all sorts of variables. You know, mm-hmm. you have to balance them. You have to play test them. But they're but it's safe. Whereas if you just if you stick your flag in the sand and say here is the game, it has no variability. But after each person has taken three moves, the the game will take unique shapes each and every time you play it. That's somebody that knows what they're talking about, right? That's somebody that really knows what yeah. they're doing and they're doing that. And let's recognize that in Hansa Titanica. The, you know, there are two innovations that keep that game fresh and cool, which is that you have your own player board. It was the one of the first, if not the first game to do this, where as you achieve things on the board, you are unlocking additional abilities on your own board. And there are five different, six different uh, abilities that you can unlock, all of which tremendously valuable and the mm-hmm. order in which you do that and the amount of resources you have to spend to do that are highly variable. That's one thing. The second thing is that it is not a zero-sum game on the board. You can take somebody's piece off of a place. You have to spend more to do it, but you. But there is, there is a little take that that happens in the course of the game, and, and that creates a tremendous amount of variability super quickly because your move is no longer just affecting your move. It's often affecting the, another player's move. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not arguing that variability is like, no, no, no. It's worthless. I think it, I think it works really, it's, it, it can be really fun when you have, especially if it's like an issue of like special powers or whatever. But I guess the question is, I think that like what we, it seems like what we've landed on is that if you can get an emotional response, like a really vivid emotional response from a game, yeah, you're going to come back to it. And maybe variability is just one of those factors that lends like the intrigue to it, you know? And sometimes it's like a blatant variability where it's like, oh, this time I'm playing with this country that has these powers. And sometimes it's subtle, like in Concordia, where it's just a matter of where those little tokens wind up and what resources are in what locations and what can you access at a certain time that somehow just has like this rippling effect on everything. But enough that it creates it, like it adjusts the puzzle that you're intrigued to go back again. And then when you go back again, you, you know, like it just like you then are, plunging yourself into all those great emotional experiences. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, cool. absolutely. Another thing, when you were talking about uh, the narrative element to the game, um, it brought up something to me that I wanted to bring up. I've brought it up before, but uh, tangibility. Uh, 
is something that a lot of my favorite games share. And that means when I am looking at the board from the beginning to the end of the game, the board is different. I have I see that even if I don't win, I don't care what my score is, I've accomplished something. Terraforming yeah. Mars, we've terraformed the planet. It has gone from this barren piece of nothing, and now look at all the things that are on it, right? Um, mm-hmm. it, Agricola is the classic example of that. Uh, look, look at my little, look at my little paddock with my little, my little sheep mm-hmm. in this one, and my little cows in this one. And look at my nice stone house that I've built, and the the, the rows of grain yeah. that I've that I castles of bad King Ludwig is yes. like that's kind of the, the entire reason to play that game is really just to see how your castle looks at the end. Completely, yeah. completely. Uh, Gaia, uh, <laughs> when you look at the top games, Great Western Trail, Gaia Project, Barrage, all of these have a very strong tangibility to them. Yeah, that's why I love a city building game, and I get mad at a city building game that doesn't look like a city. You know, I have never played Quadropolis, for instance. You know, I probably should play it. I'm sure it's supposed to be super fun, but I get upset that it's a city building game. But when I look at game states, they don't look like cities to me. I like something that looks... Suburbia actually looks like a city because when you look at it, if you actually look carefully, the tiles have roads and it actually creates a grid. You may not realize it at first. And it's fun to be like, oh, look, there's the there's the vet next to the dump and that's like next to the high-end place and it tells its own story by how you laid out your city. I think, I agree, that is such a fun part of gaming. Right, and it creates that jigsaw puzzle effect where it, jigsaw puzzle is, is something mindless but you've created something out of nothing. You've taken mm. chaos, you've taken chaos and you've created order. And then you talk about it with your friends, like, look at this and it's funny because it's something that brings everyone together. So if it's either the board and you're like, oh, well, look at this or look at that, whatever, or you're comparing like, Oh, well, my mansion, I've got my garden next to, or my castle, I got my garden next to, like, the bathroom or something like that. And everyone's comparing what their castles look like at the end. And that's, again, another way to create an emotional response. Yeah, food chain magnate. I mean, not mm-hmm. only not only the board, but look at my look at my uh, employment structure. Look at all these people that I've, uh, that I've employed. Look how amazing it is that I have the sushi chef and blah, blah, blah. Right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. There invariably comes a time in Food Chain Magnate, I feel like, where I'm, I've played with my friends where uh, someone says, oh, well, you know, oh, Judy is certainly like, she is like the mayor of the north side of the town. And, oh, I'm like the west side. Like sometimes you start yeah. talking about these places like they're real neighborhoods, you know, and that's fun. <laughs> totally. Totally. Uh, like you guys, you and I are such different people. Like for example, there's there's only one game that I do that where I go like, oh wow, look at that, look at look at how we've landed, and that's Santiago, and I'm only looking at the you know the wasteland that you know the the, the fallow field. Like, like oh wow, that that canal overseer really did a good job there. Yes, that, well that's because you're Godzilla and you like to tear down <laughs> buildings, so like you would not be happy with a beautifully like Man, a nice beautiful suburban yeah. enclave. But Paul yeah, is exactly. right. Paul is right. You can look at a game of Santiago when it's done and tell the skill of the players by how many fallow fields there are. The more devastation there is in Santiago, the more you realize, oh. They they had a good game. I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> Somebody was there were there were a bunch of people saying, "No, you haven't given me enough. All must die." <laughs> mm-hmm. There was a knife fight there. I, I see. There yes. was a battle here. Yes. Yes. Oh man, gentlemen, uh, we are not going to have time for a game sommelier. We are uh, we are way blowing past our time. But yep. ha- could I expect anything else from Ben and Paul? You guys are <laughs> an absolute delight. I, I I I love hanging out with you. I love playing with you. I love talking with you. I am very very sorry that right now I only get to do two of those three. But I look forward to the day when we can all hang out together. 
Well, thanks word. for thanks for having us, and also um, I really look forward to hearing maybe what other people uh, in uh, on the Game Brain Facebook page have to say about the cost if they try it on like Tabletop Simulator, which is where we've been playing it. Please. Because I would love to hear other people's experiences and if they ran into some of the same pitfalls, and if they did, if they were able to counter them. I, I'm just like I'm really interested to see other people uh, see how this game evolves. And actually, I'm very interested in seeing how many game brainers uh, enjoy going to Cheesecake Factory. So yeah. if you could please let us know that too, that'd be great. Yeah, yes. by, by all means. Um, listen, there's already a huge site for people who have gone to the Cheesecake Factory. The CDC actually has their own website <laughs> for food-related uh, illnesses. Uh, but you should definitely, definitely tell Paul how wrong he is. Uh <laughs> I'm gonna Wait. order it tonight. Oh my god! Please, I'm doing it. No, please don't. You were just. I'm ordering. I thought I already thought about it this week. I thought about it like two days ago, and now we've discussed it. I think it's a sign, and I'm gonna I'm gonna order from it, and then we're going to submit a proposal to oh Prospero god. Hall that the sequel to Pan Am will be called Cheesecake Factory, Cheesecake and it'll Factory. be about brown bread spreading over the globe. When I woke Beautiful. up this morning, I said I'm gonna be podcasting with Ben and Paul. It's gonna go great. How did it turn into my own personal nightmare? <laughs> I do not understand. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we have a YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Game Brain Pod. We have a Facebook group and a Discord channel. Please tell everybody how horrible Cheesecake Factory is there <laughs> and, how, and how great or, or difficult uh, the cost is. Get in those board game sommelier questions. We are down to the last question or two that we have in board game sommelier, so please get them in and realize that you are listening to Game Brain. Produced and edited by Matthew Robinson and Tom Donnelly. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. You know him as Alfred, the rules lawyer. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com. You can also reach us by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com. That's where you send your small A requests. Or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks for listening, and go play some games with friends online, or virtually make some friends with games. Games.